I am a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands. I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the water. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There is Welcome back to Movies for a Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michelle Egan. And I am Brian Kuyper. And we're back. Our other co-host. I am your other co-host. That's how you're supposed to say it. You're supposed to say, and I'm your other co-host. And okay, well. (laughs) It's an evening recording. We're not the same. (laughs) We're just different in the evening. Okay, so what (laughs) is today all about? If you liked our first list episode that we did, not our first one, but the latest one, that we did of our favorite movies that came out in the year 2022. Well, then we got another list episode for you because we're doing our favorite discoveries of 2022. Yeah. So the rules for this one is any year is fair game except for. Yeah, there are no rules except for for 2022. 2022. Yeah. Yeah. So any year from the dawn of cinema to today. Now, did you go back to the dawn of cinema this year? I went back to the 30s. You went back to the 30s. Okay, I watched a few movies from the 30s. None of them made my list. Mine are all in the 70s, 80s, and 2000s. So okay. I, I don't have a big spread as far as decades this year, which, you know, it happens. But hey, I did want to ask you though. Now, I didn't mention this before we started recording. So this is, I'm springing this on you. But both of us uh, watched some movies from each other's best of 22 lists. And I was wondering if we could do a quick update on what each person thought. So I watched. I I actually thought of that too, but I forgot about it. And there we just go. Like, oh, just now. Same yeah. brain. Right? The connection. Ah. The connection. It's right there. Okay. So I had not seen two movies on your top 10, your official top 10. You had a bunch of movies and discards that I haven't seen. I haven't gotten there yet. I'll try. But not only did I see them, I absolutely loved both Vengeance and 3,000 Years of Longing. Yay. Now, I got to say... Vengeance was 100% my shit. Oh my gosh. I knew it. That I knew it would be. I think um, that 3,000 Years of Longing is a better movie. Uh, and it really hit me emotionally. And it, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I even gave it a better rating than Vengeance. But for some reason, I think Vengeance is probably the one that is more me. And so I really dug that uh-huh. movie a lot. That was I would Awesome. Honestly, I'd love to talk about that one in an episode sometime because that was one that I feel like we could really break apart and have a good time talking about because there's so much fun stuff going on in that movie. 
and it's not a comedy. It's not a straight comedy. There's a lot of real intense it stuff. It kind of starts on out well. like that's yeah. Yeah, it starts out like it it makes you think that that's what it's going to be. But as it goes on, it's like, oh, no, this is actually like kind of pretty, deep. pretty profound. Yeah, I yeah. think that how we relate to Especially each other, the, the images that we put forward, some of the stuff that Ashton Kutcher's character says, I wrote some of those things down. It's like, wow, this record yeah. of what we leave behind and all that stuff. That was some pretty intense stuff. And, yep, um, you, you know, who that character turns out to be and everything kind of threw me for a loop. I didn't expect that. Yeah, so really, really terrific movies, both of them. So big fan. And you saw, what, like two or three of mine as well. I watched, um, the only ones I can think of right now, uh, I watched uh, Turning Red and uh, Apollo 10. 10 10 and a half. half. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Love them both too, yeah. Um, Turning Red was, oh my God. It was another one of those where at the end it was like, I'm I'm fine. I'm not crying. You're crying kind of thing. Oh, I know one more that you watched. What what am I forgetting? Glass Onion. Oh, right. Well, yeah, of course. I had to watch that like the second it was. (laughs) I know you you did. Netflix. And yeah, okay. Now when I watched it, I was like, yeah, that absolutely would have been on the list. And yeah, it's better than see how they run but i mean those almost seems like be too obvious but the thing is i think see how they run needs to be i love that it's on the list because it's under discussed you know it's one that put on there yeah i think that that so that was terrific to have that one on the list i thought that was a good replacement for glass and And apollo 10 and a half i wasn't at all like um like i thought it was gonna be i i like that it was just a mix of memories like that's such a interesting way to do the movie is like just the, the voiceover with jack black and uh, all the memories of what it was like growing up a lot of memories i mean even though that was from like before when i grew up it was still kind of the same like yeah. in the late 80s <laughs> early 90s you know yeah so i was like yeah i still have those similar kinds of memories totally of like what my childhood was like too and that was kind of an it's a nice little like trip down memory memory lane type of movie i liked it a lot yeah right on turning red was just like emotional mess type of movie like um, (laughs) another one uh, on this list is going to be (laughs) we'll get there another one of those freaking animated films that just like ah, cuts you right to the heart (laughs) right on very very good about that (laughs) yeah okay so we have not discussed each other's lists with each other going to be a surprise mostly Most there's yeah. there's some that we've guessed from each other's lists and we're probably right and i don't know how many of from my list you've seen i don't know how many from your list i've seen so yeah it'll be kind of a fun little adventure through a little bit of film history <laughs> i mean like i said i normally watch a lot of old movies and something ends up on the list this year, it just didn't happen. I, I, I did a several tribute articles this last year. I did one on Boris Karloff. So I watched a few Karloff movies and there was one that I had never heard of before, but it was just kind of like, this is really fun, but it's really not probably a discovery of the year type <laughs> material of a movie. <laughs> um, I saw a couple of really interesting Roger Corman movies when I did a piece on him. I saw The Wild Angels, uh, The Intruder, and The Trip, which were big blind spots. And they were all really good, but, you know, didn't 
quite crack that top 10 either. And then I did Christopher Lee and um, there, you know, some okay movies <laughs> in his <laughs> filmography, but you know, <laughs> and you know, a hammer movie eh? made my <laughs> list, but just not one oh, with really? Christopher Lee in it. Yeah. And then um, we both I, said that hammer sometimes yeah. is not really our bag. Right. Surprising, so. Right. Yeah. And then I did one on Faye Ray, but I had uh, seen all of those movies that she'd appeared in before. So I don't know why I just don't have a lot of movies or any movies before 1970 on here, which is unusual for me. Well, I've got us covered in that area. Like I said, I've got ones from the 30s, 40s, 60s. No 50s. A couple from the 60s. No, not from the the 50s. (laughs) I have one from the 70s, one from the 80s. I almost had almost every decade covered, but I do have a couple from like post mm-hmm. 2000, even though yeah. I kind of like to go by the Brian Sauer. Like, that's no, not really a rule, but it was like a thing he would do. I like to go his discoveries yeah. list um, that it would be like uh, pre 2000 movies. Sure. Just to like get people to know about more movies, you know, because you always yeah. want to discover as many movies as, as you can, right? Yep. But I uh, got. These, I mean, if we're really talking about like, and I had this discussion with you about like, well, what about, you know, movies that we're going to be talking about, you know, more in future episodes? Like, right. No. Like, the rule is if these were your favorite movies that you watched this year, just put it on the list. Don't worry about any of that stuff. So, yeah, that's what it finally came came down to. Okay. And I'm happy with my choices. Finally. Awesome. <laughs> took, I'm, I'm... I change it around so many times. <laughs> Mine took a lot of finagling, and even though on this podcast we've been in sort of the mood to talk about more uplifting movies, I think, more fun right. movies at least, <laughs> if, if the, even if they're not quote-unquote, I wouldn't call Psycho 3 uplifting, but or New Year's Evil uplifting, but, you know, they're uh, they're fun to talk about. Christmas you know, Christmas. Did I, did I say New Year's? You said oh, New gosh. Year's Evil. <laughs> um, anyway, let's just start going for it. What do you say? I'll go first. This is my cheat one. Okay. And I ha- kind of had to cheat a little bit. I had to like got one too, so. encapsulate. So my number 10, and I did actually rank these. So my super faves are at the top pretty much. I mean, yeah. obviously these are all favorites, but I did kind of rank them in terms of which ones I love the most are right there at the top and top five. Yeah. I got to say real quick, these are favorites once again. Yeah. Because <laughs> the best movie I saw this year is not my number one. But it is right. clearly the best movie I saw this year. So it's just one of those weird things where it's like, I'm probably not going to sit down and watch that one very often. But my number one, I'm going to watch all the time. So that's kind of how I took it. And also, these are more like first time watches than discoveries. Because yeah, exactly. Some of them are like, well, known that I just saw for the first time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Yeah, I, I always have a hard time calling them discoveries. I know. But it's just a quick shorthand. To, right. <laughs> instead of putting favorite first time watches of... Yeah, that's just kind of clunky. Yeah. Anyway, so. let's go. Let's do this now. Yeah, so one of my absolute favorite things that I actually started the year before, but it really came full circle this year was this group of movies... That I watched that just brought so much joy into my life. I'm going to say number 10, the Thin Man series. Oh, nice. Because, <laughs> you know, something that I've been striving for in my life is like simplicity and calm and happiness. And this year I watched so many 
30s and 40s rom-coms and comedies there's like a safety and a comfort in those kinds of movies yeah you know they're so light and cute and, and cheeky and William Powell and Myrna Loy they're the greatest they are absolutely amazing together especially in the Thin Man series but then I discovered that they've been in 13 movies together oh is that right okay yeah mm-hmm. so apart from that series I also watched Evelyn Prentice which was a great one kind of a more dramatic one for them Libeled Lady, uh, I Love You Again, and Love Crazy. Yeah, Libeled Lady has been on my list for a long time. It's good. Yeah. It's very good. But, I mean, the Thin Man series is what they're most well-known for. Um, Nick and Nora, probably the greatest couple I've ever seen on screen <laughs> in any decade, in any time, any movie. I loved the first one. And, you know, with series... There's always like a little bit of diminishing returns, you know, like the other ones aren't as good as the first one. But I enjoyed like all of the Thin Man movies pretty much because of them. The spark of the whatever was special about the first one maybe wasn't in some of the other ones. They were still a lot of fun to watch. I loved these movies and I loved this little slice of movies that I got to enjoy this year and really have a good time with and find something new that I love. I want to see like all those rom-coms from this time period because they bring such joy into my life (laughs) again (laughs) i'm just repeating myself over and over again but i just really loved them yeah that's awesome i have only seen the first thin man and it was quite some time ago so Uh, they are currently on hbo max so i just need to sit down and watch them ever since you started getting excited about them (laughs) it's ones that i've really thought about you know i really gotta just turn those on because i know i'm gonna have a good time with them Mm -hmm. honestly It's been so long since I saw The Thin Man that I don't really remember it. So it'll be like watching it for the first time in a way. Yeah. And I'm sorry I'm not giving like any specifics about any other. I watched them like so close together. They're all kind of like melding together in my brain right now. And I didn't really get to rewatch any of them. But just pretty much like this whole series and and these two actors just was such a great discovery for me this year and all the other movies I watched, you know, that have them in it, you know, because of these. And of course, one of the greatest dogs in cinema history as well, Asta. (laughs) Yeah, classic. Okay, uh, well, my number 10 came about because I was thinking about Halloween movies that are not horror movies. So like non-scary Halloween movies. And one of the suggestions that came up was one I didn't realize fit in that category. But it's one that I first heard about on, uh, I'm sure, from Brian Sauer, because I know he's a big fan of this movie. It is the debut film of Don Coscarelli, who wrote, directed, produced, edited, and served as a cinematographer on Kenny and Company from 1976. It's a heartwarming kind of movie. It's a bit of a slice of life. It actually reminds me a lot in its way of Apollo 10 and a half because it's a group of kids, in this case in the 70s. They're like around 12 or so, 11, 12 years old. And they're in suburbia and it's just the days leading up to Halloween. You have, you know, what life was like in the 70s, but it's not looking back on it. It's as it is, you know, because this is taking place in the 70s. So there's it's not a nostalgia factor thing like so many 
movies of this kind are. It's more like E.T. It's set in the time it was made. He's dealing with bullies and playing touch football and they're making their costumes out of paper mache and their first crush. And But it also has this really sort of profound reflections about death and things like that. It's because when you're 12 or 13, it's where some of your first encounters with those kinds of things happen for a lot of people. And so it's just this sort of slice of life hangout movie, but it's really funny. It's really charming. I just kind of had the warm blanket feeling going on with it all the way through. And I was really glad I saw it. The only way I was able to watch it was on YouTube. So I gave it a watch there. Uh, As far as I know, it's still there. It's not a perfect rip, but it's not bad. There's like a Japanese Blu-ray of it or something like that, that you can buy through Amazon Japan. But I went on there and I was like, I have no idea how to navigate this. So I sort of gave up. So if you're interested in Kenny and Company, which I, it's, it's hard to really describe what happens because like I said, it's very much, you know, kind of like Apollo 10 and a half where it's just lots of the in-between moments, you know, and it's a really fun and charming and sweet movie. And I was just grinning throughout it and just having a great time. I watched it twice and just really enjoyed it. I've heard nothing but good things about this one for years and I still haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but that's definitely the kind of movie that I'm into watching now. So I think I would probably enjoy that one too. Yeah, it's a real nice movie. Next up for me, we're going to go a little bit more depressing. Oh, buckle up for that. (laughs) I know. My whole list. I know one of them at least. (laughs) Depressing, depressing, depressing. So, hey, here we go. Okay, well, this is one that I think you mentioned it to me like in passing once. And then I saw it pop up on Criterion when they added a little Billy Wilder collection to there. So... Uh, my number nine pick is going to be from 1945, The Lost Weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think you mentioned this as like... That oh, was my guess, really... by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was either that or Days of Wine and Roses. I wasn't sure which one yeah, it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I liked that one too. That one was so yeah. good. But this one, I was really affected by this one. It's Ray Maland as a writer in New York City named John Burnham, who is supposedly getting ready to go for like a weekend away with his brother. And it's him like basically on a bender for the for the whole weekend because he's been dealing with alcoholism for about six years or so. Uh, like he's a writer and I think he he feels like he's past his peak or whatever and he hasn't been able to finish anything in years when every time he tries to sit down and write he can't finish anything so that kind of eats away at his self-confidence and that's probably what contributes to his alcoholism um, his girlfriend Helen is played by Jane Wyman who is uh, awesome in this movie and this is just a really honest and intimate portrayal of alcoholism and Ray Milan does such a great job at mm-hmm. all the different aspects of that like the desperation the sneakiness the self-loathing he has like so many great moments where you really feel like he's actually going through it like i said this is one that i watched a while ago i'm not i'm not too big on the on the details we were talking about this before like some of these were ones that we we watched like way early in the year so we didn't get a chance to rewatch them or anything but i mean that's what i remember the most from this movie is his performance and i mean mm-hmm. he won an oscar for it right he, he so, this is this is he won the oscar for this one yeah and this movie and much won, like best picture yeah absolutely so i yeah. mean that's yeah. kind of the big standout is just how really honest he is with himself and how he portrays all, all that frustration and all those mm-hmm. 
those little moments of just desperation and despair, like when he um, he steals that woman's handbag mm-hmm. and they, he's out, he's kind of like trying to be sneaky about it and he gets caught or he steals a bottle of whiskey from a store or he's like, he like threatens the guy or whatever and steals a lot of whiskey. And then um, he's having like in the last parts of his bender, he's having like weird hallucinations. And there's one thing I remember was like a bat that comes flying into the room, the room that like kills a mouse. <laughs> it's really wild. And I also loved Jane Wyman as Helen because she was very strong and steadfast in her support of him. Mm -hmm. And like also real tough love stuff, like would not really take any shit from him about his problems, like was really being serious. Yes, being supportive, but also being strong enough for him to get him the help that he needed. And I Mm -hmm. really just really liked seeing her character portrayed that way. Yeah. And so um, this is just this is a, a great, great movie. It still feels very relevant to this oh, day. Yeah, that's one of the things yeah, that one of those I've kind of found movies. about this when I watched this several years ago was just how current it feels. It's, it's very modern feeling. A lot mm-hmm. of Billy Wilder movies kind of are, though. I, fi- I feel that way about yeah. The Apartment as well, you know, where it just feels like this is so extraordinarily relevant to our time is remarkable the image that i remember is when he's like desperate for a drink and he's looking all around the room for where he's hidden a bottle you know and they're all empty uh-huh. and then he looks up and there's a the bottle lamp. in the uh, in the, the lamp in the light yeah. yeah that's the moment that i was just like oh man that's so good yeah just the way that looks and the way that it builds up to that is so so powerful Great movie. The way he like gets the five o'clock shadow and he's like mm-hmm. sweaty throughout like half the movie and he's he's so good. I only really knew him from Ray Milland. Um, he's in one of my favorite Hitchcock movies, uh, Dial in for Murder. Yep. And so I only I always knew him as that character. <laughs> so, he's I've seen in... that movie so many times. So I haven't seen too much of his yeah. stuff really. I'm still kind of catching up, but God, I kills in this so much. I really like the stuff he did with Roger Corman. He did two movies with Roger Corman that are super good. He did The Premature Burial, which is the only Poe picture he did that didn't have Vincent Price in the lead role. And I've always liked that one. It's one that is sort of thought of as one of the lesser ones in that cycle, but I really like that one. And he also did the movie X, The Man with the X-Ray Eyes. Oh, I've heard that, Which is... rad i just love that movie and nice. so yeah ray Milland, he was one of the actors that you know he won his oscar and then he his his career sort of slowly not so slowly declined and so he became affordable for roger corman <laughs> and so roger corman gave him kind of a boost to be honest you know when he nice. got to that point in his career so yeah ray Milland is a really yeah. terrific actor and this is certainly his greatest performance if not his best Absolutely. i can't i can't i couldn't say it's his best but it's certainly the one that he's most remembered for and deservedly so because it's a fantastic one Okay, so my number nine. I brought visual aids for this audio podcast. This is the Hammer movie. There was sort of a loose trilogy in the early 70s of non-Dracula vampire movies. It's not really a trilogy because Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, and Countess Dracula kind of were in there as well. But the trilogy is considered to be The Vampire Lovers on one side, Vampire Circus on the other side, and my pick, the middle installment, 
Twins of Evil from 1971, directed by John Howe. So, when I watched this movie, I I liked The Vampire Lovers, uh, because who doesn't like Ingrid Pitt as a vampire? Uh, Vampire Circus I haven't gotten to yet. I've seen about half of it, and I wasn't able to finish it. I don't know, it may well top this one, but for whatever reason, Twins of Evil, I just really... Well, I know why I connected with it, because Peter Cushing plays Gustav Weil, a Puritan witch hunter. So it's got your uber crazy zealot Christian thing going on. (laughs) And you know how I feel about that. Uh, I always find those characters very entertaining. So you've got twin girls who were Playboy models. So Madeline and Mary Collinson, they play Frida and Maria Gellhorn, and they move in with their uncle, who's this witch hunter. Well, one of the twins gets in with the devil-worshipping vampire crowd, you know. As one does. Yeah, as one does, yeah. And the other one remains very devout and virginal and all that stuff. Well, when you got a witch hunter in your house, something's going to go down. Well... They pick the wrong twin. Oh, no. And so that's how the story goes from there. Okay. I got to say, this movie was, I mean, it's scenery chewing. It's all that hammer over the top stuff. But for some reason, this one I thought was so incredibly entertaining. Now, hammer can be a little bit slow sometimes. Uh, It can be, you know, for American audiences, I think it can be tough to penetrate sometimes. This one was that's what she said um this one was i missed that (laughs) i don't know Uh, (laughs) but this one i mean it's the way i described it was it's brides of dracula and the devil rides out meets Witchfinder general so if you're not familiar with any of those movies that means nothing to you however if you do you're like, oh, okay, yeah, because they're they're great. This, but it's, I mean, it's it's like a it's a really fun movie. It's, I'll say it, it's a sexy movie. Uh, you got hot twins. Sure. One's a vampire. Sure. That's pretty rad, you know. And it's um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I really had a good time with this movie, and I picked up the Blu-ray from Synapse, and I don't know how else to say it. It's just I just dug this movie. It really has a, a lot of fun things going for it, you know. If you're maybe a little on the fence about Hammer, this has been one of my favorite Hammer movies that I've ever seen. Uh, for me, it's up there with, frankly, Brides of Dracula and The Devil's Rides Out. The Devil's The Devil Rides Out, uh, which are both terrific, and um, also uh, like Frankenstein Created Woman. They're re- it's just really have a great vibe to them. Those are some of my favorite Hammer movies. So if you maybe want to try getting into Hammer, that that one might be a good one to check out. And I know I was talking past you there because you hadn't seen any of the movies that I mentioned. <laughs> I, say, I, think I don't you were know. Like, I don't know what you're talking about there, Brian. Well, there was a couple that I watched this year that I actually ended up really enjoying that were, I think, kind of in a similar vein. Daughters of Darkness, which I really liked. Yeah, this one's a little that's man. I don't know if I would call that hammerish. That Same one's an interesting time movie. It is. It is. And, and, and that's a, a, a Belgian one, right? That's a wild movie. And there's one called just Vampires, but with a Y. Okay. From like 74, I think. That was really good. I think you would like that one too. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard of it. Sometimes those are fun, even though they're not usually Yeah, I mean, 
honestly, I, they're, sometimes they're, you can find fun stuff in them. Yeah, yeah. There are way better movies on this list than Twins of Evil. There are better movies in my <laughs> discards, right? <laughs> than Twins of Evil. Sometimes it's not about quality; it's about how much fun you had watching. Yeah, them, right? yeah. And that that was the thing with this one. This was it was just a blast. And Peter Cushing is chewing this. You know, Peter Cushing was a scenery chewing actor. And now this is just on another level from that. Because, I mean, he's he's just relishing this witch finder Puritan, you know. He definitely knows what movie he's in and he's playing to the rafters with it. It's a lot of fun. I just had a great time with it. It's actually always fun to see. So sometimes that can be enough to get me to watch a movie. <laughs> and, and when I say scenery chewing, I'm not using that as an insult. Believe me. I love... Right. <laughs> Love Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing is probably my favorite Hammer actor. All due respect to the great Christopher Lee and the great Oliver Reed, but in Hammer movies, at least, Peter Cushing is my guy. I just love what he does. He takes it seriously enough while still knowing what movie he's in. And so I really like that about him. And I rewatched, you know, another one of his just around Christmas. I rewatched Cash on Demand. I was like, man, this guy, this guy could really do it. And that's the thing I love about him. That one almost made my list, too. That's a great movie. Oh, that's <laughs> rules. It's so good. So good. It's becoming sort of one of those every year Christmas movies for me. So, yeah, that one. <laughs> I watched it with Christmas, isn't it? I yeah. watched I watched it with the silent partner. Uh, in kind of a double feature and it was just like nice. yeah this is great sort of a perfect, perfect fit yeah <laughs> okay uh number eight number eight is one that i've mentioned before that i still don't think that you've watched and it's such a great movie i think i first heard about it on pure cinema they didn't really talk too much about it probably just mentioned it in passing and like the title definitely caught my ear and when i finally watched it it was kind of blew me away it was it's um diary of madhouse wife from 1970 i do own it i got it in one yeah. of the kino sales but i haven't watched it yet uh frank okay. perry right yep frank perry directed yeah. um written by his wife eleanor perry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i i don't really know too much about them and they i did not know that they did david and lisa that is the first i've heard of that movie yeah that's a great movie yeah. you gotta check that one out Okay, so this one is Carrie Snodgrass is the main actress. She plays Tina Balser, who is the unhappy housewife of Jonathan, played brilliantly by Richard Benjamin, whom you will hate literally within the first three minutes of this movie. Excellent. He's got one of those roles where it's like, you love to hate him because he's so good at being such a dick. Because, like I said, literally within the first three minutes of the movie, she doesn't say a word. And, like, this very first scene is he's already awake and, you know, Tina wakes up and it's just him berating her and saying things that are wrong with her. Like, from the second she wakes up, worried about her because she seems so exhausted right when she wakes up and she's too skinny and that her hair is god awful. And, you know, what smoking does to you and everything. And, like I said, she doesn't say a word. And it's his delivery of it is. I mean, this is a dark, dark comedy because like his delivery is so funny, but it's also just absolutely horrifying, like what he's saying. And even worse is that his behavior carries on to their two daughters because he does the same thing, you know, that we see in this very first scene. He does it in front of them and he like berates his wife to his daughters and then they in turn treat her the same way Mm. the way that it's portrayed again is so it's so uncomfortably like funny and like horrifying at the same time 
you you really feel for her that she's so sweet and she's like just trying to do her best and just trying to live day to day when she's obviously depressed you know Mm -hmm. and obviously like falling you know further and further into that and then like she doesn't really seem to have her own personality or her own looks it's all about the husband and taking care of the house and the kids and everything like that and so she does not really a, a person of her own and she sort of starts to get out of that when she and jonathan go to a party one night where <laughs> actually the real alice cooper band is playing randomly uh, which i thought was really cool and she meets um a man named george prager played by frank langella oh, okay so that's pretty awesome um yeah. and so dracula. she yeah a little vampire connection there <laughs> mm-hmm. one of my uh, so favorite dracula's having... actually yeah so yeah <laughs> i've heard that i haven't seen him his dracula oh you gotta yet. see that one it's great yeah yeah go ahead sorry digression she starts to have an affair with this guy but he literally like he's just as bad as her husband he's a pompous dick pretty much and but he's very open about it you, you wonder why she's even attracted to him like there's times where it kind of turns her on her you know stepping out and doing something different being a little sneaky like going against her husband so you can see why the situation would kind of be appealing the whole time you're watching this everyone is treating her so horribly and it sucks to see the way that people just think that they can treat her this way and that she's really just kind of falling deeper into sadness and the ending doesn't really give you any happiness or it doesn't really like lift you back up after watching all of this either but the whole movie is just a really cool portrayal of not cool but like just really well done (laughs) portrayal of like that, that kind of situation as scary as it is kind of because the way that this husband acts i mean is pretty much you know like not that i have any experience with the way that real abusers would talk to their victims to break them down like that's basically how he treats her yeah and you want the guy that she has an affair with to be someone better but even though frank langella is like better looking i guess in a way Mm -hmm. and not really my thing but you know they have a good time when they're together and i would definitely prefer him to jonathan because Jonathan, again, very funnily, often like tries to get her to have sex with him by referring to it as uh, we should do an old roll in the hay. <laughs> it's just very funny so every hot. time he says that. <laughs> You're just like, oh, no, absolutely not. Ew, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. This is a fantastic movie. I, I highly, highly recommend this. Like for the performances, for the story, you'll be enjoying it, but you'll feel so uncomfortable the mm-hmm. whole time. And that's kind of what I love about it, though. It's, it's a really interesting way to do that kind of story. I guess when I first sort of encountered that title, because I have heard this title for a long time, I didn't really become familiar with Frank Perry until a couple of years ago when I saw The Swimmer. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of that movie before listening to pure cinema podcast yeah, neither. Yeah. and that became one of my favorite movies that i've seen in the past you know 10 or more years i mean that movie is remarkable so when i first heard that title diary of a mad housewife i was assuming oh so it's like another version of what a woman under the influence or something like that but it sounds a lot different it sounds much more funny even if it's dark, dark dark yeah dark dark humor and things like that yeah which is very much my thing as you well know i think it goes very well with a movie that is, i know is on your list <laughs> it's oh, kind of really? it's a similar kind of vibe to me as that one and i also very much recommend david and lisa 
Yeah. Frank, yeah. I, Perry. Frank Perry's one of those people that I need to fill in more blind spots on. Because I also picked up what Doc, was that the name of it? Heard that. There were like two movies that Kino was selling from Frank Perry in one of their sales. Oh, and I And I picked up both of them. So I've got them in my stack. Just got to, you know take the plastic off and watch them you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man gotta do that eventually Kino, i know <laughs> Kino sales are my kryptonite because they have i only so got many two movies. last time <laughs> here's the here's the thing the little digression Kino sales they get me on two fronts one of them is there's always these titles that i just got to know what that movie is and for 10 bucks the, like, right, on. exactly. And the price is... It's worth figuring it out. <laughs> I had to know what the erotic rights of Frankenstein was. <laughs> and now I know. And was it worth the seven bucks I paid? Probably not. But it was all right. I, I know now at least, right? Right. And, you know... I bought a vampire motorcycle. I am definitely <laughs> going to be filling you in on that one when I watch it soon. I'm dying to know. Yeah. But but then they have all these titles and the cover art. It's the cover art that was on the front of the VHSs that I browsed endlessly as a kid. So it's like, oh, that's that movie. I've always been curious what that movie was, you know, kind of thing. So they get me on all those. And then the prices during the sales are just dirt cheap. I have... You know, some in my discards that are all Kino, like busting and... Oh, mine too. <laughs> yeah, but then I got the long goodbye on 4K and I got the good, the bad, and the ugly on 4K. And of course, yep. all of those those great movies that, you know, sort of, you just got to have. They're just part of... Sure. It's, it's like, it's kind of required to own the Dollars trilogy, isn't it? I mean, it's just a thing. You, I have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've owned it in like four <laughs> formats. Uh, so it's just... <laughs> so... Anyway. You know what I love about Kino? Mm-hmm. One little thing that I like about Kino is the spines. Oh, yeah. That black with the uh-huh. same font, yeah. white lettering. Oh, so aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> there are a few that don't have that font. I and know. Like, ah. <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's been on my list for a, a little bit here. So I'm definitely going to be checking that one out Let's hopefully sometime this this next year. Okay, so my number eight... I like movies that sort of get me emotionally, but they're sneaky because even though this movie says it right in the title, I was in for a ride with it being funny from the beginning. It's hilarious, but then it's also got really, real sad stuff going on. You've told me, hey, oh. no, we can't talk about that one with high school. It's too sad. Yeah, <laughs> that's too sad. No. <laughs> from 2015, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. This movie hit me in so many different ways. Like I said, a lot of it is just so funny. So you've got Greg, played by Thomas Mann, and his best friend, Earl, uh, played by R.J. Seiler. Aren't they like unlikely best friends? Yeah, they are unlikely best friends. But one of the things I love is they make these (laughs) really bad movies. And he's like, I just make really bad movies. And and I got to read some of these titles, okay? And they're all like rips of actual they're movies. They're rips of actual movies. So see if you can yeah. guess the real movie. Grumpy Cul-de-sacs. Mean Streets. Okay. Mean Streets. Uh, um, My Dinner with Andre the Giant. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Mono Rash, which is Rashomon backwards. <laughs> instead of, instead of he, he has a rash from Mono. Uh, it's, uh, let's see here. What, what, what was it is? Senior Citizen Kane. <laughs> the 400 Bros. This one is actually going to go with a later one. 
Uh, this is a spoof of My Best Fiend, a Werner Herzog movie. Um, my Best Actor is also a dangerous lunatic, <laughs> which is really funny if you're familiar with <laughs> Werner Herzog movies. Anyway, Rosemary Baby Carrots. Um, that's pretty good. Oh, you'll like this Anatomy of a Burger. <laughs> That's, that, like that, two of my favorite that, that, that's like that's like you on so many levels it's not even fun it is uh that's yeah hilarious. so so that's great so they make all these sort of terrible movies and there are like a zillion of those kinds of jokes in that movie yeah. but you know he's sort of forced by his mom played by connie Britton, to befriend this girl who has leukemia um rachel played by olivia cook and it starts out awkward and they become real friends and he decides he's going to make a movie just for her. The narration actually starts out. It's like my, I made a movie so bad that it killed someone. (laughs) It sort of backs up and tells the story of what all that means. You know, I was just so emotionally invested in this movie from beginning to end. You never know exactly what's going to happen. And so I think it ends up being really quite powerful it's got a great cast. I think Olivia Cook is just a wonderful actress. I really like her in a lot of things. Loved her on Bates Motel. Yeah, she was great. She was great on that. Um, but Nick Offerman plays his dad. Yeah, yeah. He's one of my favorite character actors out there right now. Molly Shannon. And then he's got this teacher. <laughs> he thinks he's getting high on the soup. I, I love that part. I, I just think yeah. that's so funny. <laughs> there's, there's so much of that kind of stuff. I really connected with this on a lot of levels. I, I mean, I've talked about this in like our Magnolia episode. When you know people who have died of cancer, cancer movies tend to connect with you. It's sad, yes, but there's a remarkable amount of hope in this movie. And I think it just is an emotionally satisfying film that just has kind of stuck with me. Of the movies that I have on this list, it's along with one other one, it's probably the most rewatchable. The one I'm just going to come to and watch time and again. I don't have that kind of connection to it. Like it yeah. didn't affect me as emotional that way. But the rewatchability, I would say maybe not for those parts, but for the parts for the humor of movies it. Yeah. and stuff, yeah. the humor of the kids mm-hmm. together is really, it seems a little unrealistic to me. I was like, okay, those, yeah. the production quality of those little movies that they're making are a little too good. You know oh, what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, it's definitely not realistic. But- <laughs> I, I'll give you that. But, but but I find it. No, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's it's entertaining in that way, and they are very good jokes of all those movies that they're yeah. ripping off of. As a movie fan, of course, that's gonna make you laugh. But yeah, the scenes of yeah. all the kids together and like their kind of blossoming friendship, even though they both realize that you know, like neither one of us want to be here at the beginning, you know, and the way yeah. that they genuinely become friends is is really sweet. Yeah, and it's a movie I kind of became weirdly obsessed with after I watched it. Because I kept on bringing it up to you and my daughter. You keep talking about that movie, Dad. And it's like, yeah, so anyway. It's like, well, we should watch it because it's really good. Anyway. <laughs> well, my next one is one I haven't really talked that much about, but I have become like weirdly obsessed with it like in my own brain. Uh, this is the newest one on the list. It's from 2020, but by far one of my favorite movies that I watched this year. So I had to include it. Shiva Baby. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I have not watched this one, uh, really watched this one. I had it on once, but I didn't really watch it. Uh, why not? It's I don't so know. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it's really good. Okay, well, when we talk about my number two, I'll go into why I probably didn't watch it. But it's not bad. It's just off subject a little. Okay. Go ahead. 
<laughs> so this was uh, written and directed by Emma Seligman. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, based off of like a short film that she did. And the movie itself is also pretty short. But I hear a lot of people describing it when you're watching this movie. It's like a horror movie, even though it's not at all. It's labeled as a comedy because... It is one of the most stressful, nerve-wracking, like in- anxiety-inducing movies you'll ever watch. And it's the most basic storyline, really. It opens with the main character, uh, Danielle, played awesomely by Rachel Sennett. She is a college senior, and like the f- opening scene in the movie is her having sex with her sugar daddy, Max. Um, that's how she kind of is making her way at this time. And immediately after this, you know, she's going to a shiva with her parents. Basically the plot of the movie is that she goes to the shiva with her parents and Max is there. And also her ex-girlfriend Maya is there. And, oh my gosh, anybody that has a problem with being around people or crowds or just being in a situation that you don't want to be in. And especially like with this character being in a situation you know, like Shiva is a is a Jewish funeral. So, I mean, it's one of those situations where you're probably around friends and family that you don't see very often. And so you're going to get all those questions about your life that maybe you really don't want to answer at the time. And especially like this character, obviously, like as we saw from the first scene, you know, she's working as a sex worker. She has something to hide from her family. And she's also I can't remember exactly. There was something I think she was supposed to be going to law school, but she dropped out or like she's kind of hiding that from her family too or something i might be getting that totally wrong but there was something like with her schooling because she's told by her mom before they go to the shiva you know just answer those kind of questions you know this way so that nobody knows how messed up your life is right now like we don't want to let everybody know that but um the movie plays out pretty much in real time it's just in this one location at the shiva the anxiety inducing stuff comes from the way that it's just it's all these people all these different conversations going on at one time answering questions from people like oh my gosh my sugar daddy is over there nobody knows about our relationships oh my god my ex-girlfriend is over there what's going on with the two of us i have this thing i have to hide there's also like a a screaming baby there all the time and it's just like all these conversations all over the place and there's nowhere to go to hide really to get away from people and it's like a situation where you can't really leave because you didn't drive there like she drove there with her parents mm-hmm. you know and they obviously don't want to leave and it's just i found it like so completely stressful but in a great way because the way that they were able to um show that kind of thing uh, having this be such a crazy movie for your anxiety when it's just you know, we're just hanging out at a shiva. It's really, it's so much more than that. Claustrophobia too is like another thing. It feels very claustrophobic because it's in like this tiny little house where um, it's just like filled with people that are always talking around you. And like I said, you can't really go anywhere to get away from people. And it's a great story with the main character too, where I mean, she's, sometimes you just need to be a mess in life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of what mm-hmm. I got from that. Like sometimes you just need me to be a mess and you just need to like be in the middle of, I'm trying to figure things out. You know, I don't really have everything yeah. figured out. I don't know what I want to do or what I want to be. And that's kind of where she is, you know, mm-hmm. and um, everyone is praising her girlfriend, Maya, who actually is going to law school and she seems to be on the right path and everything. That's where I felt with the main character there was like, because everybody had that time, that point of time in their life probably where they you know you don't have everything figured out you don't know what you're doing and you always don't 
you don't you don't know how to answer those <laughs> questions. Is you know, you know those questions that you get from you know, friends or family that you haven't seen in a long time. So you're like, did you do this and this and this and this? And are you doing all the things that you're supposed to do in life? Nope, never. <laughs> I am fucking it all up. But thanks for asking. You know, uh, so uh. and there's a great <laughs> moment like when she finally like has the breakdown that you're kind of waiting for somebody to have to like break all this tension. And it's actually a very sweet moment at the same time. I loved this movie so much. I'm dying to watch this again, even though it like made me feel so (laughs) uncomfortable the first time, even the music sometimes that's playing during um, scenes that are just like her trying to talk to people and like trying to give the right answer to all their, their questions. It's kind of like horror movie music in a way just to kind of keep up that, that feeling of anxiety. And I adored this movie. I, you really got to watch this. It's so good. I will. I will. And it's short. It's, <laughs> it's like less than 90 minutes. as I recall. It's an hour 17. Yeah. It's really yeah. quick. I know. I, I can't remember why I didn't really watch it. I go through stages where I'm just kind of burnt out and I just was really burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. So it just didn't happen that day. But I'm sure that it's one that I will definitely come back to. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Okay. So my number seven, I flipped this one in kind of the last minute uh, and I flipped another one out that's probably a better movie than this. But <gasps> I, I decided to put this one on the list because it just sort of defines a lot of what I've uh, kind of enjoyed in movies over the past couple years. This is a subject that I have gravitated toward in multiple films. Deadstream, Vengeance, Chef, all kinds of movies. And that is movies that hate social media. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Kind of the granddaddy of them all. The one that really, I mean... Scream 4 is the granddaddy of them all. But this is the newest movie on the list from 2017. It's Ingrid Goes West. Yay. Nice. Something about this movie, I was just like, yeah, fuck social Mm -hmm. media, you know? (laughs) Because when I first got on Twitter, it was, yay, these people that are also working out and losing weight and encouraging to each other and the movie people who were cool. You know, the movie people that, that are actually, you know, like movies were the people that I saw on Twitter. I had about 50 followers, you know, and life was grand. But then it just so easily becomes this dependency, yeah. this sense of this guy went viral. Why didn't I? It becomes this sense of all these comparisons. But then now I'm like, I dread the thought of going viral because I wouldn't want oh, yeah. to do that. No, you know? absolutely not. Yeah, it would be awful. I, I would not want to do that. And so Ingrid Goes West just sort of encapsulated a lot of that. I mean, it's sort of an Instagram thing in this case. Yeah. She becomes obsessed with this uh, Instagram influencer who turns out to be full of absolute shit. It, it, just the fakeness of it all was really well done in this. But... The thing is, the movie's really, really funny. It's really entertaining. Mm -hmm. Ingrid is played by Aubrey Plaza, who is just killing it over the last few years. I'm hearing so many people talk about how great she is in Emily the Criminal, which I haven't seen yet, but I really am going to be sure to watch that. I loved Ron Parks and Rec. I thought she was terrific there. 
I also watched Life After Beth, <laughs> which I didn't like a lot, but <laughs> I but I thought she was really good in it. I mean, heck, she's good as in the Child's Play remake as the mom. Yeah. But she becomes obsessed with this influencer who calls herself Taylor Sloan, uh, played by Elizabeth Olsen, who is That's really... the one that I love. I love Elizabeth Olsen. She's great. She's fantastic in this, too. Yeah. And, you know, I think what this movie has going for it, I think, is just... You know, it just pulls back these facades, you know, and you realize how fake it all is. And it starts out with this being dangerous, you know, it's like, you didn't invite me to your wedding. How dare you? How it starts is scary. And then you see that she's doing it again. I don't know. This movie just did this bang up job of really hitting on. I mean, this is a pretty extreme situation, but it's not implausible either. Uh, another movie I saw this year sort of does both sides of social media. Chef, uh, the John Favreau movie I've mentioned a few times. It has a negative side and a positive side. And that's probably more realistic, you know, because there are pluses and yeah. minuses to it. Whereas this is just like, we're just going to go dark and we're going to go hard on the dark. But in a very entertaining and fairly funny way you know i think there's a lot of this movie that is really and she just so desperately wants to be accepted she wants to be part of this in crowd and you know she having to fake her way to be part of taylor's inner circle is just Mm -hmm. i mean it's kind of a stalker movie but it's well it is a stalker movie but it's just so cleverly depicted it hits this tonal balance that works so well for me i really dug this movie and I couldn't leave yeah. it off the list. There was just too much about it that just sort of summed up how I kind of came to feel about social media in the past couple of years that it, there's just a real darkness and the comparisons and the fakeness and all of this that goes on there. So this was the movie that dealt with that to my taste in the most interesting way. Well, I mean, you're talking to somebody who hasn't been on Twitter and like Two months now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely understand. And I, uh, it's been a couple of years since I've seen this. And it, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one and what it had to say. And I also kind of like that it is such a dark comedy, but I re- remember it being just like Instagram, so colorful and so yes, bright. Yes, it is. Yeah. And so sunny, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Just more facade. And like, I think even the cover is like hot pink. So it's just another, it's another facade, you know, that, oh, this is such a fun little, you know, girls, you know, becoming friends movie. Like, nope, there's like Mm-mm. much darker mm. stuff going on underneath. Yeah. And I think the setup scene for this movie, like I said, it's scary. She just goes in and essentially attacks this bride on her wedding day. And you're yes. like, okay, yeah, yeah. what is going on? It's pretty great way to start your movie. Yeah. And I can't remember if it's pre-credit or not, but it it feels like it's a cold open because you know nothing about anybody. She's just crying like these ugly cry tears that she hasn't been invited to this wedding. I thought we were friends. It's like we don't even know you. It's really intense. I man, I dug this movie so much. And it's another one I just kind of want to watch again, even though it is that sort of dark, heavy theme that's going on it's really really enjoyable to watch too well maybe that's our double feature right there we'll do like a social media episode of vengeance and and anger goes goes west West. and the thing is they're both really kind of funny and satirical too yeah oh yeah those actually be a lot of fun to dig into (laughs) they would be 
I, I where we I, both are right now. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I think and, we'd have a lot to say. All right. Well, my next one is kind of a fun one. This one's kind of a surprise for me, but when I went back and was looking at the movies, like, what did I just think was like a really good movie? And I just had a really good time watching, and I really wasn't expecting it from this one, Midnight Run. Oh gosh, so good. Eighty-eight. <laughs> it's one of those like kind of um, action road movies that oh, I was like, oh yeah, right. people say it's good. You know, that's one I haven't mm-hmm. caught up on. Yeah, I'll just, I'll enjoy that. It just like kind of surprises you with like how flipping good it is, you mm-hmm. know? It's two hours long, but it doesn't feel like it all. And it's just kind of one of my favorite things too. It's like a buddy road movie, like comedy of misadventures type of thing. And just very fun and uh, i mean the actors kind of help make it as interesting as it is like some of the top names from from that time you got robert de niro um Mm -hmm. as jack walsh who's like an ex-cop bounty hunter who is hired by joey pants himself joe pantaleano i forgot Um, i haven't seen this in so long but it's so (laughs) good as the bail bondsman Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. de niro is hired to bring in Jonathan the Duke Mardukas, played by uh, Charles Grodin, who mm-hmm. is an accountant. Okay, this is where I get a little confused. Like I said, this is another one that I saw a while ago, so maybe some of the plot points are not going to get straight. Yeah, in. Ba- no, basically, like basically, like he's an accountant who embezzled a bunch of money from a Chicago mob boss, and so De Niro is trying to bring him back to the, the bail bondsman uh, Joy Pants because he's skipped out on bail but then also we have another awesome actor Yafet Kodo as FBI agent Mosley I think his name is he also wants to bring in Mardukas to testify as a witness you know against the mob boss so it becomes one of those things where they're all on the run together they're all trying to catch this one guy they're all trying to run away from each other and it's kind of one of my favorite things too because it's from 1988 so it's it sounds kind of silly, but where it's like so easy in modern times to like get a ride, you know, from one place to another. Sure. Here, it's like they're on a plane at first, which is would obviously be the easiest way to get from, you know, where they're going. Yeah. But then like one of the funny parts is when um, Charles Grodin, he to get off of the plane because obviously he doesn't want to be brought in. He like fakes a panic attack to get uh-huh. him um, yep. <laughs> to get them both off of the plane, and so then they're like traveling by uh, train and bus and car, and I don't know. I just kind of like movies like that from that time period. Was there a little bit of the Wild West of mm-hmm. the late yeah. '80s, early '90s yeah. kind of things? No cell phones, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just a really good action movie. Like I said, it's two hours long, but it goes like so fast. Oh yeah, plot point to plot point, and there's also some great little moments like with his character De Niro's especially he was an ex-cop who like turned in other cops that's why he's like a bounty hunter now so he's kind of disgraced in that way and there's a great scene um when they go to his i think it's his ex-wife's house to borrow her car Mm -hmm. and there's like a great scene like with him and his daughter he's got like a young like eight ten year old daughter um sure they're, obviously there's absolutely hilarious together De Niro and uh, Charles Grodin especially just like kills <laughs> all the way through because he's yeah. he's very sneaky his character is like very sneaky the whole time and they kind of do that thing where like they're kind of adversaries and become buddies along the way and their their strange little way you know like the situation that they're in and just a really fun well done 
really good action comedy. Like one of my favorite things is to discover more movies like this that I, I've missed out on. And definitely I had a blast with this movie. Yeah. The first time I saw this was when I was too young to see it. Uh, when it first <laughs> came out on video, uh, my parents rendered it and thought, ah, oh, it'll be okay for you guys to watch too. We watched, I, I was bored by it when I saw it then. Right. But then in college, I think I had gotten on a De Niro kick and, you know, was watching everything I could from him. And so I went back and revisited this and, but again, it's been a good 20 plus years since I've seen it. And it's just a lot of fun. It's really entertaining, super funny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, De Niro was not, I don't think he had ever appeared in a comedy uh, before. I love this kind of this De Niro, movie. though. Yeah, it's it's not, it's him this playing De Niro a straight so man fun. in a comedy. Yeah, yeah play, him playing a straight man in a comedy is great. He's so good. You know, he's done a lot more like, straight comedy since then not like this though not, not like this not this. like this i mean because he's sort of sending up his uh, you know his goodfellas character yeah a little bit you know it, it's that kind of a movie and it's just i don't know it's just a lot of fun it's that's um, why he's so funny in a, exactly like because this, he's taking it completely that's seriously a- that's all you can see him as, you yeah. know, when he's trying to be intimidating, but you're seeing like you're saying Jimmy or something, you know, yeah. and he just comes off as like naturally funny because you expect him to be way more intense than he is. And it just comes off funny when he's <laughs> trying to be straight. I don't know. Sure. He's really cool. It's- yeah. It's one that I should watch again because it's a lot of fun and it's well worth everyone's time to think, um, to watch yeah, that one again. Shout- yeah. Yep. Shouts yeah, Shout's got it. Blue, so I grabbed it. Yeah. Yeah, Shout's got it. Okay, so my next one is James Kahn, of course, passed away this year. And so I wanted to watch a few of his movies that I had missed, and I did. I watched a handful, not like a ton, but a few. And this one also came up as one of uh, Vinny Tucheri's favorite movies, period, uh, when he was on to talk about California Split. Uh, and that is from 1974, The Gambler, directed by... Still haven't watched this. Yeah, yeah, Carol writes. And as far as gambling movies go, I think I really like the ones that are sort of intimate portraits of that life. After we did the California Split episode, I rewatched Owning Mahoney with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And both of these are just that kind of movie they're uh, interior films they're very character driven and california split is fun gambling i mean that's there's a lot of fun in, in that movie this movie it's pretty dark he's a respected college english professor he seems like he's got everything together he's a very stable kind of guy but in reality he's got this absolutely crippling gambling addiction the tagline for it actually kind of sums it up. It says for $10,000, they break your arms for 20,000. They break your legs. Axel freed owes $44,000. So he's trying to get this money to pay back the mob. One of the things that's kind of cool is you, you have a few actors in here in supporting roles who became quite well known. Like, so Paul Sorvino plays, Again, the Goodfellas connection here. So you, you've got him. You've got Lauren Hutton. Burt Young shows up in this. <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh in a role as a nice. Las, Las Vegas gambler. James Woods. <laughs> Casino there. Um, Casino. <laughs> yeah. So 
uh, he plays a bank officer in this. So, I mean, he doesn't even have a name it's to show you how early this is for some of these guys. But again, he, he just digs himself deeper. It's like, I'm going to get out of my gambling debts by gambling. You know, that kind of a thing. Makes sense. And because yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to win and, you know, I'm going to be able to get it all back. But the way Khan plays this, he's kind of unexpected casting, I think. Because you think of James Khan, you think of sort of gruff, you know, huh, you know, Sonny in, in the Godfather kind of character, right? You know, he's he's a hothead so often. He's not that in this. He's impulsive, but it's sort of like internally impulsive. And it's really something to see. And I was just thoroughly impressed by this movie. Um, I picked it up, a uh, DVD of this uh, that should be arriving probably during this recording. Anyway, I don't really remember all the intricacies of the plot. But the impression of it is just this powerful central performance. It's one of the best performances James Caan ever gave, I think. So I was blown away to see this other side of James Caan that I hadn't seen much before. Especially when he... This is 1974. That's the height of his, you know, sort of star power. I mean, this was Jimmy Caan, you know. This was Sonny Corleone at that time. Really terrific movie. So many times this year, I almost watched that on Amazon Prime because it's been in my queue for a yeah. while and I haven't. So it's only a yeah. few bucks to rent, so I'm going to make it happen. I might have watched it on Tubi when I watched it, to be honest. Okay. Uh, so it had the commercial breaks, but it was still powerful and still really, really worked. All right. We are into the top five, top five. now. Top five. And I'm realizing, okay, this one is the next couple or depressing that's okay but they're in a good way because they're great movies all of mine are depressing so (laughs) so except one (laughs) well kenny and company is not really depressing so there was actually a movie and the remake of that movie that i watched pretty close together because they were both on criterion i actually prefer the remake which is my pick at number five the children's hour from 1961 okay have you ever seen this one I have not. I have heard the title, but I don't know anything about it. So this was uh, directed by William Wyler, who also did the original movie, These Three, from 1936. And they're both based off of a 1934 play. Mm -hmm. And like one of my kinks, honestly, is movies based on plays. I love them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, because it's usually like a, a setup that I, I really like. Where well, a lot like, of times know. it's the one room It's the one, it's situation the single location, with a lot of dialogue, a lot of really good dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's exactly what I love. So what's interesting about this, though, is that it, this is actually closer to the play than the original version was, which is oh. why I kind of liked it more because okay. the story is about is um, another thing that I love is a young Shirley MacLaine. Uh, she was one of the reasons that got me into watching this. So it's uh, Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn as two like old uh, college friends who decide to open up this uh, boarding school for girls. So there um, is a girl named Mary, and she is the granddaughter of this really influential woman in the town. And basically, Mary is a little shit. She's a liar and a bully. She bullies the other girls, one of which is a young Veronica Cartwright. Oh, wow. Didn't even realize. Yeah. And so Mary overhears something that 
causes her basically to spread the rumor that, uh, and say their names, Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine play uh, Martha and Karen. So Mary starts spreading the rumor that Martha and Karen are basically having a, a lesbian love affair. Okay. And so it's all about all the drama that ensues because of that. And what I found kind of interesting when I was researching a little bit was that the play was from 1934, when it was actually illegal to even mention like homosexuality in any way, like in New York State where it was where it was performed. But they actually got away with it somehow because it got really good reviews. So, but then when they did the movie version in 1936, that just was after the, the code, code was yeah yeah just so after they the code couldn't, was starting to be enforced yeah they couldn't do anything like that at all. So actually, the story in the original version, which again is called These Three. Uh, it's a different rumor that is started. It's because Karen is engaged to a man in the movie. And I think the rumor that started is that Martha has an affair with the guy. So okay. it's a different. So that's why it's a different I, I, I dynamic. Know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a different dynamic. Definitely. And Karen's uh, fiance in this version is James Garner plays Joe. So more great actors in earlier roles like new new stuff i always like finding new stuff from people that i love and when i heard that this was what it was about when i read like the the plot synopsis i was definitely interested in like how you know that issue was going to be dealt with and i was intrigued by the potential drama and everything and i loved it i thought it was really great that you know that the subject was even you know broached at Mm -hmm. this time Mm -hmm. and that they handled it so well and it's still kind of sad to watch it when you see what happens. You just kind of feel bad because it's like, it's not that serious now. You know, things are things are better. Things are going to get better because the women, they file lawsuit for uh, libel and slander against the Mary's grandmother, like the uh, mm-hmm. important woman from the town, because they obviously like bad things start you know happening for them. The parents, you know, pull their daughters out of the school. They might have to close the school. And like, that's their dream that they, you know, that they did this together you know, who will stand with them, who will fight with them and, you know, how it affects their relationship and their livelihood. This is a great movie, an important movie, too. Yeah. I would say. Well, William Wyler is certainly one of our great Hollywood, you know, studio era directors. And uh, he's not often in the same conversation as, you know, your Hitchcocks and Hawks and Fords and things like that I don't know, anymore. Have I seen any other of his movies? <laughs> I don't know. Well, he he made some, you know, like the best years of our lives, which I think is a maybe the best best picture winner ever. It really is it. that good. Weiler deserves to be in more of the conversation than he is. Okay. He also made Ben Hur, but you know, whatever. He made it as best he could, and it's pretty good. You know, but I I think he made some other movies that are just so much better. But yeah, that's one that I definitely would like to see. That sounds really good. Okay, so number five is my cheat. So <laughs> this year I I started a director watch through. I, I did not complete it, but for some maybe crazy reason, I decided that my director watch through this year was going to be Werner Herzog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now Werner Herzog is uh, not known for his cheery movies, but I think one of the reasons I chose him though was like Wes Craven, he didn't watch movies as a child. And I find that fascinating. In Craven's case, is because his upbringing, his church, kind of forbade it. So he saw Disney movies, that's it. 
Herzog lived in this remote Bavarian town that did not have the technology to show movies. He didn't know what movies were. He didn't know what TV was. He made his first phone call when he was 19 years old. So as a result, he goes places that no one else goes. He sees things in a way that no one else sees them. He's just a really remarkable filmmaker. His movies are also really, really challenging. Uh, So my cheat is that I've picked two. One of them is going to be a mention, and the other one is going to be like my official pick. But I couldn't really decide which one I really liked more. Because they're both masterpieces. One represents Herzog the documentarian, which I think he's actually probably a superior documentarian to like a, a narrative filmmaker. So in 1971, he made this documentary called Fata Morgana. And he went into the Middle East, to the desert, to film mirages. Which is insane because... How do you capture on camera something that doesn't really exist? Mirages are illusions. They're optical illusions. That's what it starts out as. But it becomes this movie where he just lingers the camera on things. And there's not narration. It's not about, quote unquote, anything. It kind of lets you figure out what it's about for you. And that's one of the things I love about it. And in all honesty, I think this movie, if you've ever heard of like the Katsi trilogy, like Koyana's Katsi, it's kind of that, except this movie doesn't really have a concept that's that structured, which sounds crazy because that movie's not structured either. But it's just music and image and sound. And sometimes he's just pointing his camera at people and just letting them behave. And act how they would. He's not saying anything to them. He's like, just be. And seeing how they react to the fact that they're being filmed. And it sounds weird. And it is weird. (laughs) But it is completely unique. And I think this created a whole different kind of documentary. That is something beyond documentary. It's a transcendent kind of experience. And it sounds boring as hell. But it is not. I assure you. It is engaging beyond what you could expect so he started making movies in the late 60s and i watched everything from his first short films through 1982's fitzcarraldo which i had already seen but the movie that i hadn't seen that really struck me the most was fata morgana of course being one of them the other one the narrative feature is called strosek it's from 1977 again This is not a happy movie, but there's a lot of sort of interesting humor along the way in it. I mean, it's sort of heartbreakingly funny for so much of it. Bruno Strosek, played by Bruno S., who is probably the most unusual actor. He he was in another of Herzog's movies that I really liked a lot called The Enigma of Caspar Hauser, uh, which is also well worth watching. But uh, he gets released from prison and sort of one of the conditions of his parole in Germany is that he needs to stop drinking, which he doesn't do a very good job at. Uh, He kind of ekes out a living. He plays the accordion and the glockenspiel. So he's like a street performer and he becomes friends with this sex worker and his neighbor 
so the actors use their real names. So Eva is played by Eva Mattis. And then there's Clemens Scheitz, who plays Scheitz. But they become... Scheitz. Yeah, they become friends <laughs> in Germany. And they decide that Germany no longer has anything to offer them. So they're going to move to the land of opportunity, Wisconsin, as one Makes does. Sense. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> the land flowing with milk and honey, right? And sure. so they, they get... It's a very much about the immigrant experience and finding that they get there and it's just the same struggles that they had where they came from, except it's colder <laughs> and their business ventures and ideas fall through and their jobs fall apart. They live in this mobile home and there's this shot of their trailer getting repossessed. And it's just this, the shot, like I said, no one sees things like Werner Herzog and something about him standing in front of this trailer as it's being driven away and behind it is this flat, empty wasteland of nothingness out beyond there. It's sad and it's weirdly funny. I don't know how he pulls this off. There's a dancing chicken. <laughs> the dancing chicken is like one of the most famous things in this movie. We can't okay. stop the chicken from dancing. And the thing is, there's a weird metaphorical meaning behind that. What exactly it is, <laughs> you kind of got to feel rather than sure. process intellectually. Before, I might have said it was Fitzcarraldo, but I think this may be Herzog's masterpiece for a narrative feature. It's one of those indescribable pieces of cinema that truly has to be seen to be believed. But no, you're probably in for a tough watch because it's not easy to grasp everything. And doesn't and sound like it. Yeah, I mean, and of course, part of it is in German. Part of it is in English. And the language barrier is part of the story. It's Werner Herzog as an immigrant telling an immigrant story. And I think that makes it really, really powerful. And just no one has a vision. No one picks the subjects. No one has the mad sort of ideas to do things a certain way like Werner Herzog does. He goes places both sort of philosophically and emotionally, but also physically with his camera to places that filmmakers just don't go. And that's one of the things that draws me to him. And I am probably going to try and watch sort of the second part of his filmography uh, before too long, but it's a lot. It's a lot of work <laughs> to, to really watch a lot of Herzog movies in a row. But then I also watched movies like The Great Ecstasy of the Woodcarver Steiner, which was about ski jumping, which is just a joyous film to watch. I'm glad I that a lot of these titles have become available. I got both Shout Factory box sets, so I've got a lot of them available that way. And so, anyway, that's my Werner Herzog slot, number five. Honestly, Strosek is, is one of the two best movies I watched this year. But like I said, it's not one that you just throw on for a fun afternoon. So it's, it's <laughs> going to be one that I probably don't watch as much as some of the others. Well, I have nothing to add to that because I haven't seen a single movie of his, but that's okay. Well, you own one now. I, I sent, own one now. <laughs> yeah, I, I sent you that copy of since I have it in this set of Nosferatu the Vampire, which I think yeah. is probably his most accessible movie. That okay. one actually is 
really entertaining to watch. It's just a it's a cool movie. It's Dracula. Oh, you know, so it's fun. I did see Grizzly Man. In, uh, oh, in yeah. College, so, Gr- yeah. Grizzly Man is great. And Rescue Dawn is, I think, a really uh, good, fairly accessible movie uh, that's got recognizable movie stars in it. You got uh, Jeremy Davies, Steve Zahn, and uh, Christian Bale as POWs. Yeah. So it's a good movie. Yeah. Lots of great films, though, in his filmography. Well, I'll at least see that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For now. All right. My number four now. Yes? Yes. Number four. So this was one that I think I had heard anything about it. Uh, I found it at the library and it's one where it's not necessarily about too much. It's not too much of a plot. It's a real kind of like slice of life contemplative movie. Mostly, though, it is a vehicle for one of our greatest actors. It gives another outstanding performance. One of his last, uh, Mr. Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah. This is Lucky from 2017. Oh, I've heard of this one, but I don't know anything about it. Uh, so it was directed by John Carroll Lynch. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so the movie begins and ends... With a tortoise, which I think is representative of the main character that Harry Dean Stanton plays, Lucky. So he's just playing like this 90-year-old man living um, alone in a small desert town in California. And even though he still like smokes all the time and drinks and stuff, he's still active and out there and living his life. Like one of the first scenes is him getting up in the morning and like having his coffee and Um, He does yoga every morning and then he kind of goes out and has his little routine that he does every day. You know, he goes to the diner and does a crossword puzzle and he goes and buys more milk and cigarettes from the convenience store and he drinks at the local bar. Like I said, it's not really about too much, but it's really just about what you learn about people and about life and about you know, human interaction and just what you learn about people in general from watching the characters on the screen because basically even though like I said he's very active in his life and even though he's 90 years old and he seems to like he's going to outlive everybody uh, one morning while he's making his coffee uh, Lucky faints and he goes to see the doctor doctor basically says honestly like he gives him clean bill of health and it's like you're Honestly, you're doing really well. Maybe you're just old. You know, and that's what causes you to faint. But, you know, it does seem to affect Lucky. And, like, wh- what I kind of like about the um, the descriptions that I kept reading about this movie, like the little synopses, they, oh, they all said something like, it's about him, you know, dealing with his mortality and searching for enlightenment. And <laughs> which sounds like it's going to be a bigger story than what it actually is. But because what it actually is is just, like, the, the kooky characters that are in this small desert town that he interacts with. It's almost kind of like Apollo 10 and a half where it's like a series of, of interactions and conversations with people and just like different things that you can learn about people in life, like through other people's experiences and these small little um, interactions that he has with everybody. Like there are some funny ones um, like uh, David Lynch is Howard. 
he plays the owner of the tortoise that is seen <laughs> at the beginning okay. of the movie. Okay. Um, his tortoise, um, which is named President Roosevelt, has escaped. And he's very upset about this. He, he talks to Lucky at the bar about how upset he is about President <laughs> it's David Lynch. So he's hilarious in this uh, role. I love, <laughs> I love seeing David Lynch act. I know. I know. It's always so good. Like I said, it's just a series of encounters with um, all these different people. Probably one of the most memorable scenes in the whole movie is the woman that runs or work, at least works at the convenience store that he goes every day when because everybody in the town loves Lucky. They all know who he is. You know, they love talking to him like he's very well known and well liked in the town. And so he has a very good relationship with everybody. But she invites him to, I think it's her son's birthday party or something. And it's a Mexican family. So they're all like playing music and food and they're having a wonderful time. And like kind of spontaneously in the middle of the party, Lucky starts singing um, a song. I think it's called Volver, Volver. I don't really know it that mm-hmm. well. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's a like, Spanish song. And it's just like a shot that kind of, I think it holds on him for uh, as he sings this song, like with such emotion. And like, you know, it's one of those scenes where like everybody at the party stops and is listening and is very emotionally affected. And it's, it's such a good scene. Harry Dean, of course, is great and everything. But I mean, this is just stellar. And there's another scene that I loved where he's just kind of at the diner one time and he meets... I think he notices his hat or something. Uh, he meets a, a, a fellow uh, World War II veteran uh, played by Tom Skerritt. Mm-hmm. And so he, the, he tells the story, you know, to Lucky. It's just, I mean, it's another one of those things where it's like you get to watch two wonderful actors play together and, ha- and have a great scene and conversation with great dialogue and a great story to tell. Just love watching that. And that's pretty much it. I mean, it's a, it's one of those real it kind of gets you thinking about your own mortality and like mm-hmm. the, the effect that you have on people, you know, and like the, what the effect you want to leave on people, because even though I think Lucky's probably still going to go strong for a while, like he's, you know, he's 90 years old. He knows he's not going to live forever. And so that's kind of what he's not directly, but you can kind of see that that's what's going on in his mind that he's struggling with uh-huh. and just, it's such such a good movie, and uh, I really really recommend this one too. Just um, if you just want to watch a great performance from a great yeah. actor, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, watch this. I tend to like movies about people contemplating their own mortality. I know that sounds real happy, <laughs> but I mean, think, uh, me and Earl and the Dying Girl is partially yeah. <laughs> that too. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm only in my mid 40s, but I guess when you're in your mid 40s, you start to think about that kind of stuff. You know, what mark are you leaving on the future and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And so I really, really like movies like that. Like I said, he's not Mm -hmm. openly like talking about that too much that I recall. It's mostly just like it's you know that it's in the back of that it's in there. Yeah. From Uh the for the rest of the movie, like after he has that fainting spell, that one like brush with mortality you know mm-hmm. i was writing some of your titles down and that was one that, <laughs> that i was like i gotta do that i really kind of screwed up when i was talking about the gambler i didn't end that discussion by saying end of tweet oh i i was oh, thinking about that while you were talking shit. about it <laughs> and so i just i just want to so my recognition is a gambler I just want to acknowledge that I messed that up that i dropped I the ball I did, I did too yeah <laughs> okay Damn it. We got to get more on it. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Okay. This is all staying in, you know, as it should. Okay. So this next one, 
is without a doubt the best and probably greatest movie that I watched for the first time this year. Yes, it's pretty well known, but I couldn't not include this. Okay. I don't know if I will ever watch it again. Let me do a little brief preamble here. I'm trying to think if I can guess. Yeah, let's see if you can guess. Now, it has been said that it is impossible to make a truly anti-war movie. A lot of people say that the closest that anyone ever came was Stanley Kubrick with Paths of Glory. Now, I think that is a great example. That's a terrific movie. Mm -hmm. But I got to say, those people have never seen this movie (laughs) because this is the most devastating, horrifying. Is it the one that I couldn't get through the first five minutes of? (laughs) It it, it might be. This this is the most challenging war movie I've ever seen. It feels more real. Uh, it's a Russian film yeah. from 1985. <laughs> yeah. Still haven't done it, no. <laughs> Come and See. Yeah. <laughs> directed by Elam Klimov. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. This is probably the most uh, realistic depiction of war, of what it's like to be in a war. And at first, you know, the kid's kind of gung-ho about this his village is destroyed by the germans so he's going to go and fight those germans be a resistance fighter and honestly you just watch this movie as the kid's face changes i mean you can just chart the way his he starts out as sort of childlike looking and then you know just gets older and older and older i don't know what to say about it really it's absolutely a masterpiece it's absolutely one of the best movies i have ever seen there's no doubt about this but it's a real challenge of a movie and it does not in any way glamorize you don't have heroes in this movie you don't have heroics of war (laughs) so much as you have mud and blood and explosions and fire and death and bugs and the elements and what is that airplane doing up there? All of these ideas. There's this shot, you know, the camera just floating through the woods, you know, following this brigade of soldiers. And just the imagery of this movie is unforgettable. And there's a shot of the kid's face toward the end that, you know, it's on the cover of, of the Criterion, so I'm not really giving anything right. away, but where you just go, oh, man, it's really a remarkable film. And, you know, maybe I will revisit it at some point, but it's a really tough watch. Like I said, my list is horribly depressing, but I cannot deny that these movies are incredibly powerful. Movies? This is one of those that's one of the best (laughs) movies I've ever seen. Right. But in all honesty, yeah. I mean, these are my favorite watches (laughs) of the year. I mean, like I've tried to communicate with like me and Earl and Dying Girl and Ingrid goes. Yeah, I know. Ingrid goes west, (laughs) things like that, is that they are fun to watch. You know, Strosek is fun to watch. I can't deny that. I mean, any movie that's got a dancing chicken is going to have some fun. Uh, (laughs) I think there's another one that plays bingo. It's pretty wild. It's good. Um, uh, Werner Herzog and chickens. That's another thing that's sort of interesting to watch. Tic-tac-toe. 
Never loses. That's right. What's the what's the auteur <laughs> signature of Werner Herzog? Devil's Advocate. <laughs> oh, that's right. Fair enough. Okay, so um, <laughs> I yeah, <like> that movie. <laughs> it's I like that movie too. It's like, but anyway, like the auteur signature of Werner Herzog mm-hmm. is chickens. And chickens. Chickens. Sure. There are the chickens in okay. so many of his movies, and he likes to show how he can hypnotize a chicken <laughs> in multiple movies. Anyway. Sidetrack, but I don't really know what else to say about Come and See, except I think it's one that people should see. I really do. I really, I mean, I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. <laughs> I know it's hard, but it's one of those movies where you kind of pick a day and you'll watch it. There's a commentary on this with Roger Deakins, and he says, I know this is a really depressing movie, but I watch this movie a lot just because it is so, str- the photography of it is so remarkable a beautiful is hard to say beautiful but something about it is undeniably compelling so it's really a truly great film and i'm gonna leave it at that i think like i said i only made it through like the first five or so minutes i i had a night where i sat down and was like okay i think i'm i'm ready to at least try this and even in those first few minutes that first scene like the photography was very like in your face and Mm -hmm. confrontational that i was like "Mm -mm, no Mm -hmm. i'm not ready for this (laughs) and i haven't it confronts you with the reality of war and this is maybe some other night i felt like i had to include it though because it really is the best movie i saw this year and i and i cannot deny that fact and you know going out to anthony king the king of sad movies <laughs> this one's for you buddy uh you're gonna Saddest love it ever yeah this it's up there you know strosek like. and strosek ain't far behind so hey i'm giving our friend anthony all kinds of recommendations today he's probably seen a lot of them already but it's um let, let's see here yep he's seen this one already <laughs> so, right, <laughs> but um it's one of those where I really feel like it's one that people should see. I might, I might give it another try sometime. Um, okay. Well, my next one is one that's a lot easier to watch, uh, a lot more fun, adorable. Um, okay, so this year was the year where I caught up on a lot of Pixar and other like animated movies that I completely missed out on for some reason, just because you know I don't have kids or whatever, so I'm not really rushing out to see kids' movies all the time. So I watch ones like oh, um, Shark Tale, so which was much fun. more than kids' movies, though. I know, I know. Well, that's what I was thinking <laughs> the, at the, the time. The Pixar ones, you know. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So I saw like Shark Tale and Hotel Transylvania. Um, Kubo and the Two Strings was great. I like that one. Lilo and Stitch was cute. Oh, I love um, Lilo and Stitch. Ratatouille, I didn't didn't really do it as much for me as it seems everybody else for some reason. But the three big ones were Inside Out, definitely. Up. Yeah, tears flowing. And probably more, a thousand times more than any of them. One of my favorite movies that I've seen recently, Wally from 2008. This <laughs> so is... my pick for this one. <laughs> okay, Wally is the best romance movie of the decade it's the best (laughs) science fiction movie of the decade it's the best comedy of the decade it's the best animated film of the decade yeah wally is a masterpiece and yes yes yes, it belongs in the criterion collection for fuck's sake (laughs) 
Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that movie. If you ha- I mean, uh, who doesn't think that anybody who thinks that hasn't seen Wally? Because I mean, it, what is it? The first twenty minutes? How much? At is least the, it's 20, 20 or 30, 30 minutes, minutes. Yeah. Of this little robot all by himself on Earth, you know, when all of the people have gone off in this spaceship because we've trashed the Earth, and this little robot Wally is just rolling around, finding little treasures, still doing his job, even though there's no other little robots around. He's still, you know, making his little trash cubes and building them, which is such a comment, you know, on you know consumerism and all that oh, kind I of know. stuff when you use, oh, you By see those huge trash and piles. All that. Oh, gosh. Right. Well, I'm just seeing those huge trash piles that he's making. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're probably heading in that direction. Yeah. But my God. I still liked the movie when, you know, they went into the spacecraft, but really, like, I could have watched yes. an hour, two I, hours I, I, I of just Wally yeah. by himself rolling around, getting his little treasures, getting scared when, like, his little bug friend he thinks is going to die. All the, the way that they animated this thing with so much personality and expression. Yeah. And or, emotion, or, or, Wally. <laughs> oh, Wally! I thought you were talking Wally. <laughs> really, everybody in everything in that. Everybody. It, all the yeah. all of the, the robots and the sort of non-human characters, I think, have the most personality. Yeah, I love that. He is so goddamn adorable. I wanted to cry just from watching him because he was so cute mm. in this first part of the movie. Just him, like in his little like apartment that he's made for himself, and he like takes off his shoes when he walks in. I was like, ah. So cute. (laughs) I can't take it. And then his girlfriend shows up and you finally get to hear a little bit of talking, but then it's just it's just Eva and Wally. Oh yeah, I I call that. And I love the voice too. (laughs) The voice of both of them is just uh, I I still remember I still kind of say that in my head every once in a while. Like especially when Eve is like kind of frustrated with Wally mm -hmm. and the way she says it. Wally Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Still just make us so cute. Um, Well, yeah. I love that <laughs> Wally um, was voiced by Ben Burt, who did R two D two. So <laughs> nice. I've got a real soft spot for that. But I think nice. I think Aww. he puts so much personality into Eva. You know all that. Eva? I I, yeah. con- I constantly imitate Wally. Um, but uh-huh. I yeah, this is one of my <sighs> favorite movies ever. I know. And I revisited it after you did, I think, or around the time that you did. And was I just was taken over by it all over again. Because uh-huh. it, it's such a beautiful film. And I don't even think it's perfect because I, like you said, because the perfection would be just Eva and Wally on Earth. And it would, yeah. uh, that, that would be all I need uh, is that. Right. But at the same time, I <laughs> one of those lines that we quote all the time, I always ask the kids what they want to do and we all say i don't know something uh which is a line from this movie because this is how about we go hit some virtual balls into space oh no i don't want to do that it's like well what do you want to do i don't know something (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time that's a great commentary on where we are as humanity now where we are so inundated with entertainment we don't know what to do we're bored Bored. You know, yeah, yeah I, I just think that is um, over consumption. Yeah, overstimulation. I think is a big thing. Yeah, I I truly so, believe this is one of the truly great science fiction films. I mean, up there with two thousand and one, 
and you know how I feel about 2001. <laughs> it's that freaking good. I mean, it is yeah. really remarkable. I really couldn't believe it. I was just like, oh, Wally, that's it. That's a cute one. I'll, I'll catch up with eventually. And then I yeah. watched it and I was just a fucking wreck. <laughs> I couldn't yeah, believe I how good it was. And the thing uh, is, I kept telling you, you got to watch Wally. You'll love Wally. It's so good. <laughs> I didn't and believe you. Like, in, 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 yeah. Inside Out is probably is oh, yeah. pretty high up there for me, too. Yeah. And then Up, I remember when I was tweeting, oh. when I was watching Up, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm watching Up. And then it was like, 15 minutes later, <laughs> crying I know, emojis. I know. It's like, yep, well, that's the, how it goes. Everybody that watches it. The thing about Up is I love the first, the beginning of that is yeah. so good. And I don't think it ever gets that good again. <laughs> uh, I know. Is, but, <laughs> it's and, and fun, I like so, but that's for I, like yeah, the, I, the real I like some stuff. of the gags. I, I like Doug, you know, and his whole squirrel thing you know i mean that's that's really entertaining i mean there's some funny stuff in it but i i don't think it never comes close to reaching the heights of those first five minutes i did a unit on music and movies um my first year of teaching was sixth grade and i had not been able to get through to sixth grade that whole year i showed them the first five minutes of up and seriously half the class was in tears oh yeah because you are not relate to this I you mean, are not human yeah, if you can like, watch that and not cry. And they were sixth graders and they were like connecting with this old couple. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing how strong that is. So anyway, yeah, I adore Wally. I could talk forever about Wally. I love and it so much. We will. Well, tease. <laughs> Guess what? We will be talking about Wally more. So look for that this year. <laughs> Sorry, I sort of hijacked that part of the conversation. I didn't <laughs> no. mean to do that because, oh, gosh, what a great movie. I, I want to go watch that now. I want to go watch Wally. Okay, let's take a break. I'm going to go watch Wally. I can watch Wally anytime just to like lift my spirits because he's so flipping cute. I just want to watch him roll around and watch his little movie and get like mm-hmm. sad and like want to hold hands, want to hold little pincers with somebody else or whatever he's got. Ugh, killing me, so Smalls. Dis- so cute. I was so disappointed by Hello Dolly after I saw this. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one of the things that I remember was when this first came out, so many critics were like, I don't know if kids are going to like this movie. It's just got so much that's, I mean, I loved it, but I don't know if kids are going to, I immediately called bullshit on that. I sat our kids down in front of it when they were like six. They loved it. They sure. loved it. Do you know when they got bored, when they stopped watching? When the people and the talking started. Yep. <laughs> they were transfixed when it was just the robots on the planet, just, you know, making little noises. That's when yep. they were into it. And it was exactly the opposite of what all the critics said it was going to be. And the fact that they could pull it off that well, and opening the movie that way, first 20 minutes oh, yeah. without dialogue. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. And then it's got some sort of confusing ideas in it. Like, you know, why is Fred Willard human? And then the humans are not human, you know? So some people get a little hung up on that, but I actually really love that, you know, that Fred Willard as the president of by and large is actually live action. I don't know. There's something about that that I think really works for me. We'll get into it. I shouldn't (laughs) talk too much about it now. Okay. So we're at what? Number three. Okay, so this is the f- movie that ended up on the list first. Uh, so I watched this pretty early 
in the year. And because of that, I only have sort of uh, some impressions of it because I haven't been able to watch it since. This is from 1981 and was on my watch list for literally 20 years before I finally watched it. Directed by Herbert Ross, Pennies from Heaven. I don't know if I've even mentioned this to you. Heard of it. But Although it does make me think of the Showgirls sequel, which I think is also called Pennies from Heaven <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> I didn't know there was a Showgirls sequel. Sequel, quote unquote. Unofficial sequel. Okay. So Pennies from Heaven is the weirdest musical you'll ever see. This movie got on my radar years and years ago because... My wife really likes Steve Martin movies. You know, this is when we were still dating. And there was a, a like a A&E biography that came on about Steve Martin. I didn't watch it all the way through, but I tried to pick up on some of these movies that I hadn't seen that were part of his career. And this was one of them because this movie was a tremendous flop when it came out. I mean, nobody got this movie. And I can see why. Because Steve Martin, first of all, plays one of the most unlikable characters I have ever seen him play. He plays this sheet music salesman in it's this takes place in the depression uh, named Arthur. He's, you know, a traveling sheet music salesman. No one wants to buy his stuff. His dream is to open a music shop where he can do this because he's sort of obsessed with these songs from the depression and the twenties era. But all of the singing in this movie is lip synced to those old recordings from the 20s and 30s. Probably sounds cool. <laughs> it's very different. It's kind of an anti musical because the story is really, really dark. He uh, cheats on his wife with uh, Bernadette Peters, uh, who's a teacher. She gets pregnant. She gets fired. She turns to sex work. And it's like just this dark. But then it's got like these Busby Berkeley numbers dropped into this. I just haven't seen anything like it, and I was just transfixed by it. This was one of those movies, it was on HBO Max, it was leaving for, you know, because streaming services obviously rotate their movies through, and it was really early in the morning. It was one of those insomnia watches. So I got up, (laughs) turned it on, expected I might fall asleep, but I was just completely engaged with it. I kind of couldn't believe what I was watching. So even though it's got this dark story, it's sort of darkly funny, too. I really like dark humor, I think. And something about this just struck me as brilliant. And I know this was one of Steve Martin's biggest disappointments, that it bombed really, really hard uh, when it came out in 1981. He was extraordinarily proud of this film because it was such a different character for him. You know, he had done The Jerk and The Man with Two Brains and sort of these zany, over-the-top characters. That His character in this, even though he's, you know, stopping and lip-syncing to these old songs as the musical numbers in this, is a very different character from that. You know, it's character with edge and some darkness to it. And I was just completely enthralled with it. And uh, I ordered the, again, the DVD, which now that I've bought it, I'm sure will be announced to be coming out on Blu-ray at any time. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. So Warner Archive, you know, do your thing and (laughs) go ahead and release that. So uh, that is probably arrived on my doorstep during this recording as well, along with The Gambler. So yeah, I'm looking forward to watching both of those again. But uh, yeah, this was probably one of the biggest surprises that I saw. I thought I would like it, but I didn't think I would 
just be like one of those instant five-star watches for me. I did not expect that at all. And I know a lot of people probably don't like this movie at all. And I can totally see why. Because it's a weird movie. It's really different than any kind of musical I've ever seen. And sort of pokes fun at the trappings of musicals without being like meta about it necessarily. You haven't mentioned this one at all. Very sneaky there. Uh, I was sneaky. Well, there you go. Just Never call me guessed sneaky that one. McSneaks. Uh, don't call me sneaky Miss Sneaks. I don't think I I'd like that. definitely will not be doing that. Okay, good. Well, good. my number two is also from the same year, 1981. 1981? It was honestly probably one of the best slashers I've ever seen. Uh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which was a huge surprise um, just before dawn. What a wild, wild movie. Yeah. Uh, so I had heard this suggested for years and years and years by other horror fans as one of those great slashers that was, I think, probably for a long time, it was really hard to see. So I didn't really seek it out as much. Yeah. It's on blue right now. So go out and buy this, please. You will not regret Thank it. you, Code Red. Yeah, seriously. You know, and Kino <laughs> picked it up. So that's, which is awesome. So that's how I got it. That's how I got it too. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, I think I've seen all the good slashers from that era, right? You know, like what else could impress me at this time? There's always something good out there. Like I've, I've been surprised several times. Like some of my favorite discoveries were ones that I'd never even heard of before. Like this one and like the zero boys. Um, Oh yeah. Movies like that. There's always something out there that could possibly surprise you with how good it is. And that's really why um, this one impressed me so much is that it's not just a great slasher movie. It's also just a great movie. Like, I really liked yeah. how serious it, it took itself. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. in 81, so it's kind of before, like, the real slasher boom. So it's, like, right at the beginning of all that. But it's more of, like, a, a drama, really, than it is a slasher sometimes. I think it's the atmosphere that really gets you Yeah, is that it's very moody and eerie and the photography of it, that really like soft photography where everything looks like it's got a halo around it. It's like that Carrie Mm -hmm. style. The music too is also just like really, everything is just very chilling and intense and eerie. And even though it's that typical story that we know of like, five college age kids going into the woods and there's you know inbred hillbilly twins that are you know killing people it's actually very serious about about it you know that's one of the things that really impressed me about the zero boys too is that the actors are taking it serious too there's no like cliche Mm -hmm. characters i mean there's some levity in their interactions but nobody's like you know cracking jokes or it's not anything that they do or say that makes you laugh at them. They're just like normal kids and they're nice and they're not like douchebags or whatever. Like you, you like them all. There are some recognizable faces that you can link into that to help you get into yeah, this movie. Yeah. Greg, Greg Henry is one of the kids mm-hmm. and um, George Kennedy is George the, Kennedy. Yeah. What is it called? It's like a uh, forest ranger. Forest ranger. Yeah. But like the standout performance, I don't know why she's not mentioned as like one of the best final girls like ever is um oh yeah i don't even know her deborah benson as uh, I'm uh, not familiar constance i don't know mm-hmm. yeah i don't know her at all but this character constance that she plays i mean especially in that 
final scene, which is like really what makes you go, whoa, with the tree, with the tree and everything. <laughs> well, and what that. she does at the oh, end of that's the movie, right? Um. Oh yeah. The rest okay. of the movie is like pretty basic. It's, it gives you what you want in terms of like slashers. Mm-hmm. There's some cool kills mm-hmm. and some fun stuff with them in the woods. I love there's a scene where um, they're all trying to get down this huge hill down to yeah. like the bottom of a waterfall and they all just kind of like roll down and, yeah, and they're that's having great. fun. That's good. That's a great yeah. little scene. And there's like um, fun little scenes like that. But even like all the side characters, there's like a crazy Ralph type of character. Yeah. It's not the same kind of thing, but it like kind of warns them that there's something wrong, you know, and these woods, even that character is still serious. You know, it's not anything really yeah. to make fun of. And that's the big standout from this movie for me. And that, that final scene, like, oh my God, never want to give that away. But I mean, yeah, it's wild. It's something I've never yeah. seen in a movie ever since then. Right. And it's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this has a real exploitation thing going on. Obviously, it's really low budget, but it's so well crafted within that parameter. Mm-hmm. For me, the scene that sort of grabbed me and carried me through to, through the end of the movie was that scene in the abandoned church. Uh-huh. There's a revelation that occurs in that scene that just makes you go, oh, shit. And it's just like, okay, this is something different. This isn't Jason. Right. This isn't The Hills Have Eyes, even though it has sort of the hillbilly thing going on with it. Yeah, it's a cool movie. It's one that is definitely going to be watched again. Yeah. It's a great, fun, enjoyable watch. But like you said, it takes itself seriously. I think it's, as a film... It's probably better than the original Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just better crafted than that movie, even though it's kind of a ripoff of that movie. You know, technically speaking, it's a ripoff of that movie, but it does it in a different way because, I mean, killer in the woods, you know, but it's really cool the way they handle that. And, uh, you know, George Kennedy is great in this and, you know, everyone's really pretty terrific. So, yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Good movie. Like I said, when you've watched a ton of horror movies and you watched a lot of movies from that same era, like those similar types of movies, you can't, you don't think that anything is really going to floor you. But this one honestly did with how good it was. So I was very happy to, to finally catch up with this. This is one of the ones that I got to rewatch before we did this. And still. Oh, good. Very yeah. effective and cool. I mean, I kind of skip, had to skim to the end, but I was like, oh my God, I watched that oh, last sure. scene again. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number two. So this movie came along at a point where I was just really feeling burnt out on movies. I felt like I had to watch a lot of movies for articles, for the podcast, for different things, all those sorts of things. I just felt like I was... Uh, it was starting to feel a little homeworky, and I got to admit that. And that was kind of tough. I was just like, nothing was engaging with me. And did somebody suggest something to you that they thought you might like? Yeah, something weird happened. Uh, I accidentally bought this movie twice, <laughs> and Vinegar Syndrome doesn't do you know refunds unless it's damaged, right? So I sent my extra copy to my best buddy here. Uh, and she said, you're going to like this movie. Watch it. So like immediately after you finished it, yeah. I surprised you turned watched it, it the on. Same day. <laughs> yeah, I ended up watching it the same day. Okay, I should probably say what the movie is. Yeah. 
This is from 1979, Natural Enemies, uh, directed by Jeff Canoe, who is probably best known for directing Gotcha and Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, this is not those movies. No. Like, no. at all. You no. could not find a movie that is more different from those than Natural Enemies. Why this movie engaged me so much, I can't even really put my finger on. Part of it is just the setup. I mean, it just gets into the psychology of this middle-aged guy. I don't have some of the same impulses that this guy has. Trust me, I don't. But I think the setup of it probes some things that are a little bit more universal. I'm actually going to read a little bit from the back of the Fun City Editions Blu-ray. So what causes a man who seemingly has everything, a thriving business and family, to snap and throw it all away? It's the question uh, that this provocative and intelligent psychological drama investigates. Successful New York Magazine publisher Paul Seward, played by Hal Holbrook, beautifully by Hal Holbrook, has reached his breaking point, and today is the day he has decided to kill himself, his wife, and his children. Uh, His marriage to Miriam, played by... Louise Fletcher, Louise Fletcher, so good, has grown cold in distance. On this final day, he seeks the answers that might relieve him of his despair through encounters with a psychiatrist, an astronaut, a friend who survived the Holocaust, and five, it says, prostitutes in a brothel, and a lonely woman on the train ride home. This movie favorite scene. is like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, the way it interrogates these quandaries is so smart and so engaging to watch. Because so much of this movie is just conversations. Mm-hmm. He sort of couches all this in this idea that, oh, this is a idea that I want to print in my magazine. What causes men to one day kill their wives and family? And themselves. Yeah. There was like this rash of this. Yeah. Why is this? There's a name for those now. I, I thought, well, they were. Uh, yeah. I was watching this. I was like, those are called family annihilators now. And it yeah. actually happens a lot more yeah. than people would think. Yeah. But that interrogation is a real interesting one. Why would someone do that? I mean, because, I mean, everyone goes through these. And it's not necessarily because there's this hatred Problems. towards them yeah. Yeah. yeah it's 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 just everything has grown dull is what it seems like or there's no spark there's no life in his life anymore uh-huh. like, I, I don't remember there being any real kind of catalyst that no you know causes this to happen it kind of reminds no. me of, of targets in that way yeah that's a great example that's a double feature to really depress you yeah sure yeah i mean if if you well, there's if some you really, stuff in targets yeah i mean if you want to feel really really terrible just watch the nine of the ten movies on my list and you will <laughs> get there this is a really good one though <laughs> this is a really really great movie and yeah. i love it when a movie catches me by surprise of all the movies that fun city has put out this was the one that sort of interested me the least i was like okay i don't know what this is uh, but I'm going to buy it and I'll watch it eventually. And then just on your recommendation, you know, it's like I, was Brian, tr- I was Brian, do it. Just watch yeah, this one. I was, and was like trying to get through the movies that, you know, were new purchases that I needed to watch before I could shelve them. And yeah. I picked this one. And it's a good thing I did. I'm glad. I'm really glad I did. 
Yeah, and this Otherwise, is, it might have sat there for way too long, you know? Yeah, and what a movie, though. What a powerful movie. It actually replaced one of the movies that would have been on the list earlier in the year because it's Ooh. just a kind of a similar kind of thing going on. I just thought they were too similar, so I took that one off and, and put this one on. My instant reaction was, this is a five-star movie. This is... It's that it's so frank about its subject matter. What movie would have mm-hmm. the guts to talk about this anymore? I don't know of a movie that would. I've been sort of now sort of desperate to find the book, but the book's out of print, like long out of print, goes for unbelievable amounts of money online. And so I'm like, you know, dang it. I'd, I'd love to just interrogate this more like you could mm-hmm. in a novel. We talk about Stephen King sort of having the guts to go there sometimes like Mm -hmm. those words that are in Gordy's mouth and Christine, you know, part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids, (laughs) you know, and the shining, the shining is entirely about that. (laughs) This idea that there's this secret desire that may be darkly lurking inside you somewhere that you would never act upon. You never, you don't really feel this way, but that idea that what if I was on my own again? or whatever that may creep in to have those kinds of, you know, what if things were different? And, you know, he's talking about, you know, killing himself too, because he doesn't feel that he has any particular um, value. And I mean, if, if he was to annihilate his family, he would obviously, and not kill himself. His life would pretty much be over anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because he would be, well, would hope. Yeah. Imprisoned and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I don't feel like I'm selling this one, but <laughs> um, how do you sell this movie though? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's hard to, you kind of just have to watch it and just kind of be surprised at it. I think, yeah, the frankness uh-huh. of it is what really got me. There's so many conversations about sex that are yeah. very real, you know? Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I was like, yeah, who has the guts to say these things? And I, I was, I was seeing this. Like, you all know, I'm no prude. Like, but kind right. of hearing that in a movie, I was like, okay, wow. It's like, it's going yeah. there. They're actually saying these words in that way. <laughs> you know, I don't really want to it's say rare, anything, but, but it's, it's rare yeah, it's to see a very, movie this very rare thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's what really kind of got me about it, especially that scene where it's actually almost a very... Weird kind of scene with um he also has a little lunch break with the five sex workers five sex yeah. workers yeah that's it's such like a great like... scene the one that we were kind of discussing over text about whether or not he was even real or not was probably my favorite scene of the the woman on on the train yes because there was sort of the eyes wide shut feeling to it where it was just like maybe he just saw this woman and like envisioned this whole conversation because she kind Mm -hmm. of, I think doesn't she reveal like having kind of similar thoughts as him or something. And that's, yeah, that's what that's about. So you don't really know if that's even real or not, but it just kind of fuels him even more. What I will say too, about this movie is perfect ending too. You cannot, you cannot have ended ended it any other way. Yeah. That last conversation between him and his wife is one of the most suspenseful scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Uh-huh. Just the way he handles props and right. the way they move and the way they're framed. And it's like, oh my God, what get, what's going to happen? You're, but at the same time, you're not losing what they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I could not believe how good this was. 
Yeah. I believe Fun City actually sold this one out, uh, which is kind of surprising yeah. <laughs> in a way. Uh, but they, a lot of their stuff is selling out. I mean, if you, yes. if it's kind of like if you don't get yeah, it for right them. away, you're you're not going <laughs> to get it anymore. And I love that about them because everything they're releasing has been so good. Um, I'll mention another one when we do sort of our runners up. Well, thank uh, you but, for sending me this one as well. Then. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad I accidentally bought it twice. <laughs> you know, because I I know that you were like, if you don't put it on your list, I'm putting it on mine. Yeah. Is what you told me, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I figured this was more of a you movie anyway, though, so I figured it was going to be high up on yours. Which again, it's like, what does I don't this mean say it, about it's that me? <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's not, a movie. I, I, it's I'm a not, movie about a middle-aged dude, like you've mentioned yeah. before, that you're kind of connecting with us now. <laughs> I do, and I, and it's not even sort of that subject matter of of wanting to kill your family because yeah. I don't want to kill my family, but <laughs> I hope not. it's it's sort of the interrogations of how it goes into the ideas of what being middle-aged, you know, sort of entail. Yeah, and it's surprising that it's so honest. I I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that is this honest about anything. Yeah, I really can't recommend this movie enough. Me, me too. You know, my number one is something different because it's one that I'll watch a lot. I already have, but Natural Enemies is one that I'm probably going to think about more. My first experience of watching it was so powerful. It, it's almost like it's I will hesitate to watch it right. again <laughs> for fear that it might change my opinion of it you know there are a few movies that i've that i've experienced like that like tree of life was the same way for me the terrence malick movie that movie hit me so hard that i like yeah (laughs) that i like never want to watch it again because i'm afraid that it's gonna not be as good as i remember (laughs) you know i had that worry about magnolia though too and, and some other movies so sure all right, are we ready for my number one, which you I already know? <laughs> yes, I do. So this was a movie that was suggested to me by two wonderful friends, you and Jessica Scott, when we did yeah. um, our episode with her on the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and we were talking about Catherine Deneuve, and you guys were like, hey, you're, you're really going to like this movie. So I was like, all right, cool. I will watch it, and... Yeah, this was like immediate five-star favorite love, love, love movie for me. Belle du Jour uh, from 1967. Yep. So, I mean, this is my first uh, Bunuel movie, so that makes me feel very bougie and important. But Well, there is a discreet charm <laughs> to the bourgeoisie. That's <laughs> okay. a Bunuel joke right there. Okay. <laughs> for the three of you that got that in our audience. Okay. I did That's not. one of his movies, the, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Oh, okay. See, I, <laughs> so what you said, I don't know anything. What you said is very bougie. I was like, well, that's very <laughs> fitting for Buñuel. Yeah. See, I don't even know what you're talking about. I That's one of those. Yeah, it's a good movie. Filmmakers good movie. that where it's like, uh, that feels like homework and I don't know if I'm going to oh, like anything. Oh, not at all, though. But These movies are this, so weird and so fun. Yeah. Yeah, but... With this being my first one, I think I can do it because this, yeah. for one, this one's really accessible and this has mm-hmm. only got slight weirdness to it, but the rest I absolutely love. So, like I said, it's um, Catherine Deneuve as Severine. Very cool name. She's 23. She's um, a housewife who is either 
uninterested or unable in any way to really be intimate with her husband, Pierre. He calls her very like cold at the beginning, but she does have these fantasies. I like the way that, that they play out where you don't really know it's a fantasy sometimes until too late until you're like, oh, okay, that's obviously that's a little too weird because the movie opens with um, her and Pierre like riding in a carriage and then the two guys that are driving the carriage like drag her out and whip her and <laughs> but she's kind of enjoying it. So there's like stuff with like sadomasochism and bondage and her being called like a slut and a horror and her really enjoying it. So kind of what it's about is just about her exploring kind of that side of herself and very kind of leading a double life. She hears from a friend that another mutual friend of theirs has started working in a brothel as as a sex worker, but kind of like a high end place where it's really nice where she ends up she ends up finding another one run by um, another name. I'm not going to get right. Uh, Madame Anais. Where there's only like two other girls working there, but um, it's nice rooms. They're they're dressed nice. It's not like anything you know, skeezy or anything that you would think about. Like it's it's like the red light district, but very nice. So she decides that she's gonna start working there um, as a little side hustle and as a little way for her to kind of figure some things up about herself. She takes on the name uh, Belle du Jour when she's working because she only works during the day. She has to leave by five o'clock exactly so no one else can find out about her. So like some parts of this kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable, like the way that she's treated sometimes. But overall, I felt like I really understood the main character and like what she was going through and what she was thinking and feeling. I think one of the reasons why, you know, she chose this route there's like one shot in the in the movie that hints at maybe like where her problems lie where it kind of hints at sexual abuse when she was younger mm-hmm. so you know sometimes it's easier to explore different parts of yourself like with complete strangers rather than people that you know because there's a little bit more freedom and i think that's what she's looking for she's looking for freedom and uh self-expression that she's not really finding herself able to you know, let go in that way with her own husband, because obviously when she first starts out, like, you know, she's really nervous and she doesn't really know what she's doing. But as you kind of see her meeting the different men that are clients there, you see how her confidence builds and how she is really enjoying her work, shall we say. But Mm -hmm. it's mostly about like what it's doing for her internally. Like she's becoming more confident in herself, more sexually confident. And I loved seeing the way that she, uh, Catherine Deneuve is, for one thing, like I think like I said in the Umbrellas episode, she's so gorgeous that it like makes me mad. (laughs) Right. Like it's just like, that's just not fair that a human being could be as beautiful um, as you are, but she gives um, such a complex performance with this character because it's like sometimes you can see her mind racing with like, you know, um, what she's thinking or feeling or like the conflicting emotions that are going on. And sometimes you don't really know like what's going on. You can't really read her reactions or you can read her reactions like a couple of different ways. God, I just I, I absolutely love this movie. And I, I was mm-hmm. happy that it was <laughs> knowing that it was a Boonwell movie, you know, again, mm-hmm. that it was one that right. I was able to really get into and, and really enjoy. And 
one that I think is still like very relevant today and that you could still oh, yeah. find a lot to relate to today and so many great scenes, so many great images, so much so much color. The way that he films it, it looks it just looks absolutely beautiful. And then just her face on on screen is just an image in itself, you know. And some of these images, um, the way that she plays, like, especially in the fantasies, there's like one where she's tied up and they're like slinging mud at her. And then there's another part where she she's hired to play like his dead like ex-wife, lover or somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she's just naked and wearing like a black uh, veil and has to like lay in a coffin. But at the same time, like as, as weird as that imagery is and as much as it feels kind of out of place with her character, like you still definitely get where she's coming from because maybe you've had those kind of thoughts too. And I was very surprised that I was able to like relate to her as, as much as I did because I was kind of feel like I've been on like a similar journey as her recently. So mm-hmm. this was very, very important movie for me to watch this year. And I'm very happy that you guys recommended it to me and that I actually went out and watched it. Yeah, this is one that might come up. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so this is one that I will be rewatching because yes, of that. And I saw it quite some time ago. And like you said, it's a really accessible film of his. Uh, I, I think it's a great entry point. Yeah. Well, fun fact, uh, Wes Craven, one of his favorite directors was. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can see that definitely in the way he approached uh, alternate realities. Well, yeah, like I said, a lot of her fantasy sequences, they play out as if uh-huh. it's a real scene and you don't realize yep. until it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, that's that's obviously not mm-hmm. happening. That's a dream. Yep. That's very much what yep. Craven does. Yeah, absolutely. So I really appreciate Buñuel. I need to see a lot of his films again now that I've become sort of a more experienced with his films, frankly, because there's not really anything like his movies. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to compare them to? It's it's really different kinds of stuff. And so I'm really looking forward to revisit of this one because it's just a fascinating, singular vision kind of a director. Yeah, really glad you liked this because I, I had the feeling you would <laughs> and that, you know, Jessica and I sort of both got that feeling from you that you'd like <laughs> this one. Uh, so classic one of the really great all-time films, too. Absolutely. As is my number one, though in a very different way. So I'm going to say this is from one of those filmmakers that I kind of thought of for years as having that one great movie and never really made anything else. You know, I thought that about um, Orson Welles, but it turns out Orson Welles made a whole shitload of great movies besides Citizen Kane, you know, and Billy Friedkin made more than just The French Connection and The Exorcist. Who would have thought? Well, Peter Bogdanovich made a lot of really great films, and I've been watching uh, more of them. I watched this one on HBO Max again because it was leaving. I was like, I've really been wanting to see that one. And I thought, oh, yeah, that was good. For some reason, the next day I watched it again. I liked it more. And then I watched it again. And I liked it even more. And I was like, oh, hell, I love this movie. This is a five-star movie. I love it. From 1972, What's Up, Doc? Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. This is just a sheer delight. This is unlike any other movie on my list because you'll actually be happy when you watch it. Yay. (laughs) Okay. At first, I was like, the screwball comedy wasn't really my thing. But then it got me. Ryan O'Neill plays this musicologist who has this theory that 
igneous rocks were the beginning of music. That early man discovered music from hitting igneous rocks. Uh, and it's this bizarre theory. And then Kenneth Mars plays sort of a rival musicologist who's who's a hack and he's hilarious. Austin Pendleton is this, he's sort of this well, highly respected musical um, editor and publisher and things like that. And introducing Madeline Kahn as Ryan O'Neill's fiance Eunice Burns, and of course Barbara Streisand as Judy Maxwell, who pretends to be <laughs> Ryan O'Neill's fiance Burnsy. It is just hilarious. This is just a really, really funny movie from beginning to end. It's a screwball comedy. You got these four identical um, travel overnight bags that get mixed up. Who's got what? One's got government secrets. One's got igneous rocks. One's got jewelry. One's got, you know, underwear. I mean, it's it's just like, (laughs) or something like that. I can't remember what the fourth one has. And it's a San Francisco movie, so you've got all the sort of character of San Francisco, and there ends up being a, a car chase through the streets of San Francisco, ends up on a bike, ends up on all sorts of things. Barbara Streisand is this character who basically everywhere she goes, chaos follows, and mm. there are so many great just slapstick setups. I usually don't love slapstick if it's not in a Buster Keaton movie, but here it is just so funny and so delightful. And I just don't know what exactly about it just took me, but I just kept watching it. Eventually I just picked up the Blu-ray. I just find myself every time I need a pick me up, I'll just throw it on and it does the trick. Nice. Sheer delight, joy of a movie, so you can watch all the other movies on my list. Well, Kenny and Company's delightful. And get depressed and then watch this and you'll feel better. Yeah, I've been catching up on a lot of his movies too. Not a lot, but a couple in recent years. And most of them I've enjoyed very much. All of them I've enjoyed very much. Have you watched uh, Nickelodeon yet? I haven't watched Nickelodeon. I haven't been able to track it down yet. But I've got They All Laughed. I uh, love They All Laughed. I've, I've got that so DVD. Good. So I'm gonna I'm looking forward to watching that one because one of the movies in my runners up relates to that. And I love Paper Moon. I, I Paper think that Moon is, Noises Paper Off Moon was just, another Noises like, Off is fantastic. Absolutely yeah. joyous mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I really want to see the Cat's Meow, which we talked about when we talked about Citizen Kane, because it has the whole uh William Randolph Hearst and um, Marion Davies element in it i remember that cover but i never saw it i did not know yeah i've never seen it and and unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately a lot of these movies are really difficult to find i i'd I'd like to see texas phil i've got the vhs tape (laughs) which is the sequel (laughs) to uh the last picture show uh very different in tone as i understand of course we talked about mask yeah and targets i will also give some love to the thing called love i had no idea that was him so. so run them down one more time. Yep. For me, it was number 10 was the Thin Man series. Number nine was The Lost Weekend from 1945. Number eight was A Diary of Mad Housewife from 1970. Number seven was Shiva Baby from 2020. Number six, Midnight Run from 1988. 
Number five, The Children's Hour, 1961. Number four is Lucky from 2017. Number three was Wally from 2008. Number two was Just Before Dawn from 1981. And number one was Belle de Jour from 1967. Okay, so mine were uh, Kenny and Company from 1976, Twins of Evil from 1971, <laughs> Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, 2015, Ingrid Goes West, 2017, number six, uh, The Gambler, 1974, number five, Fata Morgana from 1971, and Strosek from 1977, because... That was my Herzog slot there. 1985, Come and See, Pennies from Heaven from 1981, Natural Enemies from 1979, and What's Up, Doc, 1972. All right. So a lot of discards. Lots of them. <laughs> I, I put mine in categories. I just put mine in the category like the month that I watched it. Okay. Fair enough. The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I had mm-hmm. such a blast with that one. One from you that we've talked about, Cash on Demand. Yep. Silence, the Scorsese Silence, which you still haven't watched. I still yet. haven't seen, which I know is going to be <laughs> totally my thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, Citizen Ruth. Oh, was, that's on my list. It's on it's, Paramount Plus. Just got Paramount Plus, so I'm going to be watching Citizen Ruth yeah. finally. Do yeah. that. Do that. Laura Dern. Amazing. Um, mm. The Postman Always Rings Twice. Both of them. Oh, I love uh, it. Super sexy movie. Mm. Amadeus. I could not believe how much I loved Amadeus. How did that not end up on your list? That's what I want to know. How did that not end up on your list? I actually didn't see that. Though. I watched that this year until later. And I was like, oh, oh fuck. Amadeus. And then I was like, oh, God. Amadeus. And I'm so <laughs> glad you watched the theatrical cut. Yeah. I was like, I was like oh, thank God. Okay, I hope that when they release that in 4K, that they finally just release both versions because the original cut is so much more entertaining than the director's cut. The director's cut okay. is dismal and dreary compared oh. to the original cut. This is so funny. And I mean, it's got all the humor, but it just bogs it down with all this stuff. Come on. Anyway, go ahead. Um, kind of like I did last year, I just kind of did overall like my my Godzilla movies. Well, this year I got yes. into um, I can't remember if I can say it right. Gamera. Gamera, Gamera or Gamera, whatever. I've only watched like three of them, I think. But I was like, wait a minute, he's like a little turtle guy who like uh-huh. shoots spins fire around out of his butt. and yeah. shoots like rainbow fire out of his butt. Like I love this guy. Yeah. So I gotta finish. I got a couple of sets. Um, someone gifted them to me, so I'll have to finish up a lot of those but yeah. I, I watched the three or four that i watched i i really had a lot of fun with cool um edge of tomorrow i loved this movie so much have you seen that one is the, that the die to- repeat movie yeah the, the love die Cruise repeat thing? yeah yeah it was so much fun oh god i love that one just like uh, i could, yeah i saw some fun action movies atomic blonde i loved that one okay um hearts beat loud Oh, I love like, Hearts Beat Loud. Yeah. You know that movie is speaking to me on so many <laughs> yes. levels, right? Father, daughter, music. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Some newer stuff. Oh, God. Uh, I loved Benedetta and the new uh, Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. This one was really hard to leave off the list from 1945, the anthology Dead of Night. Oh, I love Dead of Night. It was so good. Ugh. So good. I wrote an article about it on Bloody Disgusting if you want oh, to yes. read further. Okay. 
Uh, I saw the Elephant Man the first time. Oh, David um, Lynch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen um, that in a hundred years. Super, super fun movie. The Elephant called Man? Swan- no, no not, not that. Sorry. I'm this joking. Is the next I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Swan Song. I, yeah, I just Kier. was reminded about that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's one I'm dying to see. That looks it's, so good. It is so fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you'd really I was enjoy it. I was listening to cult movies and Dirk Marshall brought that one up. Yeah. <laughs> as, as to pair with Outrageous, I think. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's one I've been dying to see because I love Udo Kier. It is super fun. Uh, the Brinks Job. Oh, yeah. Uh, great movie. Yeah, Popcorn. Movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I also made it was uh, The Company of Wolves. Because oh, gosh. Yeah. That was one that I remember I had tried to watch before, but I thought it was boring somehow. It was like years ago, and I never finished it. I, was I like, guess oh, so. That looks stupid. I don't know if I want to watch that again. And so I finally, maybe it was like the bad quality that I watched, but I watched it again, and I was like, oh, damn, this is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, one from Muse, Coronico. Love that. Yeah. Loved it. That was hard to leave off the list, too. Uh, Marie Antoinette loves that. Um, first oh, I man. love Marie Antoinette. Oh, yeah. I love First Man. First oh. Man. Watched so Blue Velvet things. for the first time. One I didn't really want to put on, even though, yeah, it was like one of the best, one of my favorite movies I watched this year, but we already did an episode on it. It was The Red Shoes. Uh, Cloudburst was a movie that I watched like on a whim. It just ended up being very much a delight. Niagara with Marilyn Monroe. Um, another one that I watched because of Simone Signorette was in it. It was a movie called Therese Raquin. Mm-hmm. Really cool movie. Kind of like a noir-y type of uh, French movie. It was really cool. Uh, Perfect Blue, the Cat People remake, uh, Quite On, Destry oh, Rides on. Again. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, man. Day, you're you're days, watching so many good movies. <laughs> days of Wine and Roses. Looper. I loved Looper. Um, I love like, Looper. Little, yeah. Yeah. Looper is a uh. bomb. Um, some other fun little action movies <laughs> showdown in Little Tokyo that almost made the mm-hmm. list because it's got like the greatest line reading of any movie ever. And if you've seen that movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Leave Her to Heaven, um, Winchester oh. 73, uh, uh-huh. Dementia 13. I got both cuts of that for Christmas. Good. So I'm going to watch the Coppola cut and the original yes. Corman cut. Yeah. You should watch it. Uh, Design I for will. Living. I watched that one too. That uh, was really good. Yeah, so good. that one was uh, hard to keep off too. Yeah, uh, the Hot Rock was another one that almost made it because that's oh, I'm done to a, see that. That's a blast. Uh, yeah. Deadly Force, uh, Wingshauser, good times there. Uh, <laughs> Alone in the Dark was oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. Daughters of Darkness, like I said. Uh-huh. Um, Scandal Sheets, Out of the Past, uh, Robert Mitchum. Oh come on. gosh, and then. Yeah. I, find, I finished off the year. The last movie I watched in 2022 was A Place in the Sun. So I did pretty good <laughs> this year. And it I'd may seem say like, so. <laughs> it may seem like, like, oh, my God, there are so many other, like, great movies that did not make I know. your list. But I, I mean, know. this is me. <laughs> I had to pick the movies that were me. Exactly. I think there's a little bit of the whole, these are the movies I want to talk about the most yeah. going into your top 10, whether they're more discussed or, or, or whatever. When you say my top 10 discoveries, it's more like my 10 discoveries because, to take a line from, <laughs> from pure cinema, right? So top 10 because. Speaking of pure cinema, and I swapped this out, I put Ingrid Goes West instead of this one, but this is probably a better movie. It is a better movie. Uh, Going in Style, which is one that Brian Sauer has talked about a lot, and with good reason. It's terrific. Martin Brest. It's got George Burns, Art 
Carney and Lee Strasberg as these old yeah. guys who rob a bank. Great yeah. movie. Um, people are going to say, how in the hell did this not get in your top 10 uh, Battle Royale? <laughs> Yay! Uh, uh, yes, I didn't watch that for the first time. The one that I took off the list because of Natural Enemies is Shoot the Moon from 1982. Uh, Diane Keaton and Albert Finney and Karen Allen and Peter Weller. One of the most powerful films ever made about divorce. Um, that is not named Possession or the Brood. Um, okay. I, I watched this thing. It was called The Secrets of Playboy. It was like an A&E thing. And they talked a lot about Dorothy Stratton. And so after I watched that, I had to watch Star 80, which is a devastating film currently on HBO Max. Tough movie, Eric Roberts. Um, I thought Muriel Hemingway was terrific uh, as Dorothy Stratton. And then Cliff Robertson as Hugh Hefner. He somehow nails that. I don't know exactly. It doesn't really look like him, but man, he kind of pulls it off. The Warriors. I mean, gosh, how did I not include the Warriors on my list? That movie rules. Yeah, it does. Seriously. And that's one that I'm going to watch again. Okay. Now I'm going into categories. Okay. Okay. Movies (laughs) about music that I saw that really hit me this year. Grace of My Heart. Uh, Ileana Douglas. uh, Directed by Allison Anders. Matt Dillon. Eric Stoltz, Bruce Davison, terrific movie. Really good movie. That was hard to keep off. Times Square from 1980, which just recently became available finally on physical media after just copyright nightmares because of the music. Radio On, uh, another Fun City Editions thing, also from 1979. Uh, It's a British film. I watched the Monkees movie Head, (laughs) which I thought was really bizarre and great and kind of sublime in its way. A movie that's sort of uncategorizable, Holy Motors uh, from 2012. I have never seen a movie like this. I don't know how to explain that movie. You kind of just got to see that one. Okay, cop movies. Um, The New Centurions, Freebie and the Bean. Yeah. Another James Caan movie there. This is going to shock people that this is the first time I saw this was this year. Smokey and the Bandit. (laughs) I'm going to also mention Hooper because I liked them both. The one thing that drove me nuts about Hooper was at the very end, he turns to the camera and winks. Otherwise, it's like the perfect movie. It's perfect. (laughs) So good. And then that just pissed me off so much. I know a lot of people probably like that. But anyway, Uh, Deep Cover. Really good. Uh, Kid Detective busting okay a couple of food movies chef which i've mentioned like six thousand times on this yes. show um then i wrote an article about uh, adaptations of Macbeth. the most fun version of that that i've seen was scotland pa from 2001 which is it places Macbeth in a restaurant it's not a direct adaptation. It's not the Shakespearean language. It's rewritten, but Macbeth's is like a burger joint. Um, it's I know, it's fun. Um, and then a couple of westerns, Old Henry, which I've talked about before, and Judge Roy Bean, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, starring the great Paul Newman and directed by the great John Huston. Okay, so we have about a zillion recommendations for you. Some of them you might have seen, some of them you might not have, and some of them you might love, some of them you might go, are you crazy? But that's fine. Yes, we are. That's what movies are about, right? (laughs) 
we can have different opinions. It's about what movies we related to the most. And I think, actually, I think both of our lists are very us. They are. They kind of fit. And the thing is, I look at my list and I go, again, not not because of anything you said, just me, my own reflections. What does this list say about me? My gosh. (laughs) When we both said that we're in the mood for... Like happier, fun movies, and then like it's come and see the most depressing. Come and see, yeah. There you go. Those are the those are my top. But then, what's up, talk? So here we go. Hey, it's whatever speaks to you, and however, sometimes it comes in weird ways that you won't expect. That's what I got a lot of this year. Very cool year for movies. Yeah, it's always fun to just see what kind of rises to the top, what sticks with you throughout the year. Because what I do is I open a a list and I pop movies in there that really strike me in the moment. Then just kind of move them up and down as they do. I need to do that this year. Okay. This is uh, always fun to do these lists. Yeah. These discoveries and, you know, our forever favorites and stuff like that are some of my favorite episodes to do because it's just fun to talk about a lot of movies. Yep. Thank you for listening. Um, this has been a great second year. Uh, this is the beginning of our third year here, and we're really excited for what we have ahead. So you can find me everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at Brian D. Uh, no, you can't. At Brian Waves 42 <laughs> um, And I'm technically everywhere, but I'm only really posting on Instagram. Just uh, Michelle Agan over there. And the show uh, is on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Life Pod. Hey, we crossed 900 followers just a couple days after the new year. So that was cool. Thank you, everybody, for listening, though. We love all of our friends. Yeah, we sure do. And don't be a stranger. And we're glad you are listening. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.